0: This time around, I spoke to Chris Smith. Chris is an experienced maths teacher up in sunny Scotland. He's a self-confessed maths geek, Pi Day enthusiast and TED Talker. He's the creator of some of Tez's most popular maths resources of all time and he's the author of an outstanding weekly maths letter with some very high-profile celebrity fans. And if all that wasn't enough, He's also the 2018 Scottish Teacher of the Year. Now, I've been trying to get Chris on the show for ages, and finally he caved into the pressure. And boy, am I glad he did. So, in a wide-ranging conversation, Chris and I chatted about the following things, and plenty more besides. Chris describes not one, but three favourite failures, and they each contain something we can all learn from. I asked Chris to take us through how he plans a sequence of lessons, and it is flipping fascinating. How does Chris find time to do all the things he does, both outside but also inside of the lessons themselves? What's the key to a good resource? What's the story behind Chris's brilliant newsletter, and what are some of his favourite features? What's the secret to organising a good maths revision event? What have been some of Chris's favourite Pi Day escapades from over the years? And are such fun activities really worth it? What is mathematically interesting about the number of seconds in February? And finally, what does Chris wish he'd known when he first started teaching that he knows now? Now, I absolutely loved talking to Chris. As much as I love being out of my comfort zone, speaking to the likes of Professor Becky Allen, Dylan William, David Didow, Daisy Christodoulou, there's something quite nice about geeking out with a fellow maths enthusiast. And I hope you find the bit of our conversation about the importance of fun and joyous experiences as interesting as I did. I'll be reflecting on this and more in my takeaway at the end of the show. Just the usual request that if you enjoy this podcast, please consider giving it a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you get your audio fix from. And if you have a colleague or friend who does not listen to this podcast, then just before you shun them for the rest of the year, possibly consider recommending your favourite episode to them to get them started. Anyway, I shall deprive you no longer as I introduce Chris Smith one of the only guests in the history of the Mr Barton Maths podcast who can rightly call me a Southerner. Enjoy this one. I know you will. And as ever, I will see you on the other side. Okay, Chris. So we start as we always do on the podcast with your maths speed dating questions. So question number one: What is your favourite
1: number and why? Okay, so I'm going to start in an unexpected way. I think <laughs> everyone would be expecting me to say the number or pi. I've got a um, tenor on
0: pi but, here, Chris. Is it? Is, yeah, you tell, you're not going to let me down here, are you? You're going to lose
1: some money, thing. <laughs> it's just it's too obvious. So so instead, I'm going to give you my favourite integer. Right. And my favourite integer has got to be the number two. It, it's two's a hero. <laughs> and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a few reasons. Right. OK. A few reasons why I think the number two is just is is one of my uh, all time favourites. Um, obviously, it's the only even prime number. And, I mean, that's pretty cool in itself. But also, you know, just the sort of questions that that brings. Like, how do you know there's never going to be another even prime number? So that idea of infinity and that idea of, of proof is, you know, something something as simple as two, bringing all that in. That's amazing. Um, I guess if you we, – we work in, in maths in two dimensions all the time. So there's a whole world of geometry and shape that, that we love, and, you know, including our X, Y axis. So that's – it seems like two is – amazing because of that and um, if you use it as an exponent you get all of the topic of quadratics I and mean, you wouldn't have pythagoras theorem without um powers of two um i guess we could talk about binary as well um if you're looking for weirder things and things that, that won't work well on a podcast here's two for you <laughs> just um, what
0: i was looking for, Let's
1: go for <laughs> first of all like um, in terms of two the word 2 t-w-o it's got two homonyms so like the word t-o two and the word t-o-o also two they both sound like two two no uh, that's, like that. That like really, that. that's a very unhelpful thing for it uh, to, to try and listen to um but i can top that with something that's even even tougher and um, so if you're going to solve the following equation um brackets x to the power x and take that bracket and raise it to the power x if you make that equal to x to the power of brackets x to the power of x then two comes to the rescue. It's a solution to that.
0: Hey, say, um, that say that one, one more time. Say we'll 100%. have listeners desperate to have a go at this. This sounds good. Go for it again.
1: Yeah. So two to the power of two, all of that to the power of two, equals two to the power of two to the power of two.
0: Nice. yes. So
1: essentially that boils down to four squared equals two to the power four. But um still that's <laughs> you can you can use the, the, the number two to do that. Um there's loads of other things. You take a sheet of A four paper um and you measure the dimensions and divide the length by the breadth, you'll get the square root of two. Um, that's not just a four, that's a three, a two, a zero, all that it's amazing. Um and one last one, I guess. If you write out the number two in French, do Um, its letters are in alphabetical order. Now, French is kind of nifty in that there are a few numbers which that works for, um, but there's only one English number which, if you write it out, um, has the letters in alphabetical order. I don't know whether... I don't know whether
0: to leave that as a spoiler leave that yeah to... leave that hanging there chris i like i like this hey let me ask you on this one here because i mean that is a brilliant case made for two being the, the best <laughs> number ever and um, i interviewed joe morgan for the hundredth math gems special podcast then uh, yeah a, listen couple, to that. a couple of weeks ago and and she made the point that um she, one of her ideas that she got from gems was to um was to give each student essentially assign each student a number and get them to research a load of facts on that number and and they essentially owned that number for the rest of the year now is is this anything that you've done here because i'm that like that is i would, I would imagine if i was the kid who got two i would be having a <laughs> field day with this kind of thing have, have you ever kind of done that with with kids kind of given them ownership over a number or, or found ways to get them as interested in properties of numbers
1: as as you clearly are with two yeah well i think um i did hear that that podcast with Joe and I thought that was that was interesting. I can imagine there are some kids, like the kid who's got zero or one or two, to be sort of strutting into class on in a regular basis. <laughs> you know, they're gonna be the stars of the show so often. Um and so I've never done that specific thing, but um quite often when we're we're covering um prime numbers, that would be a that would be a normal thing for us to do to to give each kid maybe one of the prime numbers um from two up to uh, 101 something like that and then just get them to go away and, and research their own uh prime number find out some interesting facts whether they're numerical facts massive facts or um you know just facts about the number where it's used commonly and so i think and i think that does it probably allows that kid to get a wee attachment to that particular number um i'm not always convinced that these things. Uh, when they they do the individual research, whether they have an appreciation for all the numbers or just the one that they've been looking into, um. But I guess that depends what you then do with that information. Maybe if a, a one of the pupils, you know, shares that in an interesting presentation or or um, put, displays that in an imaginative way, maybe that gets people talking. Um. But yeah, number properties is, is something that yeah geeks like us just lap laugh <laughs> up don't we we
0: certainly do Lo- love that answer chris well well, speed dating question number two what what was your favorite topic in maths as a student yeah
1: I, i'm sorry if this one's a bit predictable but um every every equation i guess as soon as you're involved you're introduced to algebra every equation seemed to have one variable and given that teachers are creatures of habit it was almost always x and then boom out of nowhere equations started appearing with x and y at the same time and you start solving simultaneous equations and i don't know the process seemed sophisticated the result could be verified by checking your your answer i was a number crunching that you used to do could be avoided that i remember seeing this and i was sort of submitting um and i guess i'm still i still am to a wee bit um so i i guess my favorite topics would have been Simultaneous equations, and and also, um, a, a, again, an obvious one would be um, Pythagoras. There's, um, I remember uh, when I first started secondary school, our, our teacher at the time was a, a guy called Mr. Morton, and he was uh, he was old school, really old school, um, a terrifying guy. And I remember I was I was I was tiny. Um, when I was at school, I was still the smallest kid in the school. I, even when we moved into second year, all these first years come up, and I was I was still tiny but um i'm very very shy and so when this guy mr morton stood at the front our first day of mass and basically told us we were going to be um working through this these smp booklets and and that he wouldn't be everybody doing work in silence and work their way through starting at booklet one and work their way through um it was, it was terrifying and he didn't he, and my my teaching style i wouldn't hope in no way resembles this guy's <laughs> but I, I, in some way i enjoyed it because i I, I was just picking up book after book and, and learning this, and I, I remember getting to Py, the bit Pythagoras theorem, and it, it seems bizarre that I would just like be entrusted by Mr. Morton with the responsibility of, of teaching myself about this incredible theorem. But anyway, reading through this booklet and trying to get my head around it, I, I couldn't believe that every single triangle, right angle triangle, would share this property. I just seemed, it just seemed—it seemed um Seemed too good to be true, and I remember, you know, it didn't matter that my daughter was a riot because Mister Morton never looked at it. But uh, <laughs> I, I was drawing, I was drawing right angle triangles and measuring the sides and doing calculations and looking for, trying to find this elusive triangle which would which would disprove Pythagoras theorem because surely there must be one out there. And uh, I remember, I, I still can't believe I was I was brave enough to do this. But one, I went out with my daughter, out to Mr Morton's desk, I don't think anybody had ever spoken to the guy, because we were all just sitting there terrified, but um, I went out, and I brought out my daughter, and I said, "Um, I think I've, I've disproved um, Pythagoras' theorem, <laughs> and uh, obviously this guy just glared at me, and uh, so I, I and I kept going, you know, I had this whole, the whole thing planned. I said, so from now on, I'd like you to call me Chris Thagoras. <laughs> and you know, he is he's looking at me, he, and of course he was a smart guy. He knew he knew that there are umpteen proofs of Pythagoras' theorem. I, this this little guy was not going to have uh, solved, have have broken down this this uh, ancient theorem, and so I present my daughter to him and in it I've I've drawn the most ridiculously tiny triangle you've ever seen it's it's meant to be one millimeter and one millimeter for the legs of this right angled triangle and using my ruler as best I can I found that it's one millimeter across but (laughs) it's all to do with just the accuracy of my measurement I couldn't possibly accurately measure um, that it was 1.41 millimeters or whatever it was meant to be Um, and so yeah I think despite that initial <laughs> Initial hit. Pythagoras and simultaneous equations would be my favourites as a student.
0: I'd say it's, it's fascinating that Chris, particularly Pythagoras, because it almost seems like you were kind of cheated out of your introduction to Pythagoras by having it yeah. presented just in a book form. But at the same time, it's led to this kind of driving you to try and disprove it. Yeah. You, you were shocked by it and so on and so forth. Can I just ask? And and if this takes us down a, a big tangent, I apologise. But um how how do you introduce pythagoras to your students now if it given that it's was one of your favorite topics given that you have this kind of strange experience with it yourself what what's your way of doing it with students these days
1: so i think there's i mean I, there are so many bits parts of pythagoras that fascinate me i love that i love pythagorean triples and so I, I think you can you can be leading kids towards this This idea of there being Pythagorean triples, even without having considered the triangles, and so I think um, kids really respond well to that—the fact that they can look amongst this um, amongst square numbers and find some that sum together um, to give give a a third one—and so we do we do a wee bit of that. And I think you know this idea of of taking shapes and and and, measuring—and it won't be—it's not groundbreaking—but this idea of, of encouraging pupils to to look at the properties of, for example, a triangle. And there are really interesting properties of triangles. You know, there's um, there's things to do with, I mean, the triangle inequality, for example. I, I didn't even know about the triangle inequality until I, I, I was at university. I, no one had said to me that you couldn't draw triangles with any random choice of, of side length. I didn't realise that, you know, the 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 two smallest sides had to sum to... You know, a total greater than the third side. That, that I didn't, I didn't get that. And so, playing about with triangles is important, and looking at the connection between the, the largest side um, and the largest angle. Kids spotting that that happens all the time you know cutting up triangles and and laying them out of, you know a, the angles along a, a straight line to prove that the angles inside a triangle add up to 180 all of these things you know just playing about with them and spotting patterns and um, I, I would i would love kids to be given the opportunity to spot patterns and so um i think measuring the sides of um of right angle triangles and um and guiding them towards square numbers because uh, you know that's 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 not an obvious uh, leap from there but uh, inviting them to, to check and to to verify and to, to it's not discovering Pythagoras theorem he's already done that <laughs> but for, for them to appreciate that um for the first time that would be kind of the way that I would encourage them to do it but hopefully in the context of this isn't something weird this isn't something that we do for um Pythagoras theorem and Sokotoa and nothing else um but that this is something that they would that the we would explore um, together, lots of things, and that different people in the class come up with the they, they will unlock that key quicker than others, and um, some it'll be it'll be different people every time. And I think there's value to that as well. I think someone uh, I, I can't I can't remember the exact topic, but I remember we did something um, a while back, and it was it was looking for specific pattern, and uh, I think it might have been the formula for triangular numbers or something like that. And a, a, a boy in the class, he he got this. And from then on, that was that was how we would refer to the this formula for triangular numbers, as if it was as if it was Brandon's discovery. And so he was he was dead chucked at this. Um, and I think there's something there's something nice about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have a million questions to ask you, Chris, but hopefully these, <laughs> these, these, these will come out when we when we get further into the into the, the weeds of planning lessons and so on no, and so no. forth. So, so for now let, let me uh, wrap up your speed dating questions. With what job would you like to do if you weren't a maths teacher?
1: Well, um, I think, well, I'm in a Keely band, a Keely band called Jiggard, um, who are available for bookings across the UK. I've got, <laughs> got my shameless plug in. Um, so only I normally mean,
0: charge big money for that, Chris. I'll
1: let, I'll let you have that one for free. <laughs> um, so maybe an obvious career, alternative career path might have been a musical one, but I think my, my skills lie more in sort of storytelling i mean everybody sort of loves a good story i mean it starts with fairy tales and nursery rhymes um with mums and dads telling bedtime stories you'll have to get used to that in the new year craig um i think storytelling's why movies and books and stand-up all of that appeals to us it's one of the reasons we still talk about the tales penned by shakespeare or fascinated by adventures of greek mythology or the parables of jesus i mean and uh, teach are storytellers. We've sort of honed that art of holding an audience. We've got a, a message to share. We convince our students it's one worth hearing. We embellish, we captivate, we surprise, we fascinate. And, and, and I think smarter students uh, realise this. And sometimes we are totally duped into involuntary storytelling. I mean, all it takes is like a single question and that lesson is derailed for 10 minutes because I start off some unplanned monologue. And if a kid asks, like, what is it you love about pie again, sir? And then I'm like, oh, 10 minutes later, I realise <laughs> they've, they've tricked me, do you know. Um, so I think maybe if I wasn't a teacher, I'd be some sort of a professional storyteller. I don't know, making documentaries or telling stories on stage or entertaining kids or something like that
0: that's that's a great answer and it it's one of those things that is kind of always implicit in teaching that that good teaching involves kind of good stories but it's it's only when you stop and think about it just just how powerful it can be and i remember when i was researching for for my book um just looking into like Dan Willingham talks about it a lot the the power of the narrative how Mm we we've evolved to 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 learn more from stories than we do from from other structures and and if if we can kind of structure our lessons around the idea of a story and then when I spoke to Jeremy Hodgson on this podcast he even described mathematical problem solving as like a story you're introduced to a problem you've got a conflict there what tools have you got at your disposal and yeah it's it's something I'm really beginning to appreciate in the last kind of couple of years or so the power of a story it's yeah it's fascinating fascinating um, chris could you um, talk us through your your career because you've done absolutely loads of stuff when i was when i was researching this podcast i couldn't i could not believe the kind of things i was reading it so I'll, I'll let you kind of talk us through your career from from, from where it all started <laughs> to where you are now and if there's anything that you leave out through modesty i'll uh, I'll, I'll make sure i I, uh, I bring it up so go for it <laughs>
1: Right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll maybe tell, I'll maybe share a wee bit of the early years, and um, yeah, I can leave that. I can leave the rest up to you. But I studied maths at um, Strathclyde University, and in sort of classic Smith style, I was distracted by my love, love of maths, and I enjoyed learning all this geeky stuff so much so that for, I'd done finished four years of a course and hadn't even thought one bit about where this was heading like what what was I even going to do with this degree um so I, I was in 2003 I had a first class degree and I had literally no idea what to do with it um teaching wasn't on my radar um I wasn't sure if I wanted to do something with finance or, or what to do and so um I kind of just drifted and ended up uh, hanging about at the university and, and started a, a PhD um and the topic was the topic was fascinating. It was mathematical modelling of blood flow in the human placenta. Jeez, man! And so, uh, so again, you'd be fascinated. I'll send <laughs> you the, my unfinished thesis for you to read. From you. <laughs> but um, and so that's really interesting, you know, using maths um, as you know to to analyse or to look at a real life situation. And like this application of of maths was it brought some sort of unique opportunities. Um, first of all women down in Nottingham donated a placenta and we did some experiments we went down there and she had a c-section we took the placenta out we attached various pipes and tubes and stuff and put it into an MRI machine and um, so that was amazing I, I, I spoke about my work at the House of Commons on Pi Day 2005 um, I was invited to speak at the World Congress of Biomechanics in Munich all about this and so that that was great And I enjoyed all of that stuff, but it was the the day-to-day research didn't excite me. Um, It was, on the whole, quite lonely work. Um, I, I shared an office with a, a Spanish guy called Alberto, and uh, Alberto he was he's was from Madrid and was still in sort of siesta mode. So I would be in at the <laughs> office. At, I'd be in at seven in the morning working away, and he probably would come in, you know, after his after his noonday uh, snooze, and he would come in and and, and he'd come to the office and he'd say "Hola gordito," and I'd say "Hola," you know, and I thought, check me out, I'm so cultured. <laughs> And it was only two years later that I asked him what Gordito actually meant. I just assumed he was coming in and saying, hi, wise person, hi, good looking or whatever. It turned out it was Little Fatty. And so for two years, Alberto had been calling me Little Fatty. But actually, that wasn't the reason that research didn't excite me. The real buzz for me was I got the opportunity while I was doing this to teach undergraduates and I got to take tutorials and lectures and communicate about maths, whether it was with these students or whether it was at the conferences that I was presenting at, and working alongside the young people. That, that made teaching maths teaching an obvious fit for me, something I should have figured out years before. Um, so I signed up for the, the, the teacher training, um, and after that, I joined um, Grange Academy in Kilmarnock as a newly qualified teacher, and I've kind of been there ever since.
0: I mean, that... Uh, absolutely absolutely fascinating um kind of start your career there chris and then that that's kind of just just a little if this was a book of your career that's like (laughs) the first kind of five or six pages there right because then (laughs) just tell us about some of the things that since you've been teaching um so
1: since i've been teaching it you know i've been i've been roped into um or got involved in lots of different things and um i guess a lot of people ask you know why why i do um or how I manage to do all the things that I do, and and, and I've got to be honest and say that I, I I cherry pick things that excite me, things that interest me. Um, um, and so I've been involved in, and in, I've been a member of the Scottish Mathematical Council, and the Scottish Maths Council are, do a, a load of brilliant work up here in scotland they organize cpd for for maths teachers they produce a an annual journal which is is always packed with really helpful material they they run competitions and so I, it's been an honor to be part of that scottish maths council um i was a member of your uh, test maths panel i mean and that's the so most every,
0: prestigious thing that's that's is, that is that is the career. one
1: yeah yep. so every few few weeks every few months sorry craig sends you send me some resources to have a look at and I wade through them and uh, some of them I'm able to rate and some of them um, I'm not unable to rate either because um, they're no good or uh, more likely because they relate to the English curriculum I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing there so I usually just bob them off and pass them back to you (laughs) Um, so I mean I've been involved in uh, creating a lot of resources that are now in test we'll talk a wee bit about that later I think Um, and most recently I've kind of been in Getting involved with the the making mass work making mass count group up here in Scotland. So they two years ago decided it would be a brilliant idea to have a, a Maths week Scotland. And so um, I was keen to that this thing wouldn't be a one hit wonder. That this thing wouldn't be something that people just thought was an additional source of workload. Because um, I, I, I get it, I get that teachers are busy. And I, but I didn't want this to us to miss. Missed the boat, and so um, I generated, created a a competition, a national competition called Mass Weekly Borders, and the idea is it's a team event, so cl- whole classes take part. They work together to solve problems, one of which is is written in Scots or Gaelic, and uh, then uh, so we got hundreds of entries during Mass Week Scotland, um, and then had to mark all of those. So I've got a great wee team who work alongside me on this, and so and from that a lot of things have sort of um, We've, we've done other things with the Scottish Government, um, things like um, creating holiday maths challenges for primary six pupils to do during the holidays with the families, just to sort of um, keep the momentum of Maths Week Scotland going. Um, so there's lots of things that I'm involved in beyond uh, beyond the school. Um, I, I do love where I teach. I've been there for ages. I work with a great team. Um, uh, Uh, My boss and the head of maths there, David, is is really supportive and sort of encourages me to get involved in all of these things. And, uh, yeah, I guess there are a lot of things beyond the day-to-day work at at grade that I I really, really love about, um, about teaching and about maths
0: superb and we're, we're going to talk about your newsletter um a little <laughs> bit later on but just before we do move on i just want just want to uh, mention a couple of things first you're an award winner chris i mean we, we can't go any further we're, oh.
1: we're, without
0: mentioning that just what, what award have you uh, well what awards have you won but but what uh what, what have you won most recently um so back in
1: uh earlier on in the year i was uh, nominated by well, I, there was a few nominations for the, uh, the Scottish Education Awards. Um, some pupils nominated me, some parents, some colleagues, um, even some old uh, some folk who I've worked with um, out with uh, just nationally in Scotland. And so I got uh, I received a lot of uh, lovely nominations um, for the Scottish Teacher of the Year. And so the the judges came out and they they watched me teach, they interviewed me, they interviewed my, my colleagues and uh, pupils and stuff. And so I ended up getting shortlisted for the final three. Um, uh, there was another teacher who was a primary teacher and another one who was teaching in a special um, special needs school. And we ended up uh, being the, the finalists for the Scottish Teacher of the Year. And in June, um, it was announced that I was actually the Scottish Teacher of the Year, which is amazing, um, uh, really, really lovely and uh, I'm I'm delighted and chuffed to bits with that Um, and it's I think it's brilliant to have someone teaching maths getting one of these awards quite often it's it's um, teachers who are in Subjects that are perceived to be more creative, yes, uh, yes. dramas and the English teachers and the social subjects teachers. And so I was delighted to be there representing maths and showing that maths is, is a subject which can be as creative and which is beautiful and which can be enjoyed by pupils and which um, can mm. excite folks. So that, that was really chuffed to bits with that.
0: Superb. And the other thing I just wanted to mention before we move on is you've actually done My Lifetime Ambition, and I'm fuming about this, Chris, because every year <laughs> every year I say this is going to be the year I'm going to do this, and it's I, God knows how far off it is if I'll ever get there, but you've already done it. So t- a TED Talk, I would absolutely flipping love to do one of those. And yours, I mean,
1: it's had tons of views as well, so just tell us, tell us a little bit about that, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. So um, this was, I think the TED Talk a wee bit like this podcast was something that I was asked about and kept putting off, kept putting off. (laughs) Um, And uh, this is a a serious uh, coup for you because I I do not like speaking on the phone, Craig. So (laughs) the fact that you've managed to make this happen is testament to to how highly I think of you. But um, the the TED Talk, um, yeah, there was a TEDx event going to be hosted in Inverness. And again, I was asked about, if I would come up, it was during the summer holidays and, and I wasn't sure whether I, would, I, would, I was going to be able to make it happen. Um, and so initially I declined that offer, which you, you, you may think is crazy. And as it happened, we then later were going to be up at our friends um, who stay right near Inverness. And so I contacted uh, the organisers and said, look, I'm going to do this, uh, let's go for it. And so at the, Ted, the TEDx, the event itself was, uh, it was amazing. It was in this converted barn. Um, There were loads of, all the talks in the evening were were really interesting and varied, you know, not, they weren't all around maths, not all around education, but, so there's a real variety and the ideas being shared there. And uh, so I really enjoyed it. I took Daisy with me, um, my, my oldest daughter, and she was she was there and loved the whole experience. Um, it was in a barn, and so um, one of the things that we hadn't quite figured out is that we would have no um, internet connection. <laughs> so all of the all of the clips and, and stuff that I was wanting to uh, make, like relate to, I had to pretend that everybody had had uh, watched the video, um, and the audience played along beautifully. They <laughs> pretended like they were clapping at the end of a video and all that sort of stuff. Um, but. I, yeah so I, I gave a talk about um our Pi Day antics over the years and uh yeah it was it was just lovely to be able to do that and it is it's something that uh, I do look back on and I think that was that was a really um that was a real privilege to be able to do that um and so yeah I do I do end up speaking at a lot of conferences um up here in Scotland um and I, I enjoy that I enjoy um sort of enthusing uh, math teachers, uh, providing resources for them and ideas, and um, just a wee bit of, of geekiness. Um, sometimes, in the, the and amongst all of the talks that are at a conference, some of them will be on, on policy, some will be on um, research, and then there'll be me doing something utterly geeky, and uh, <laughs> that, that people can either come to and know that they can just enjoy it um, without the, the burden or the pressure of, of following it up if they don't want to. Fantastic.
0: And we're going to certainly be digging into some of resource creation um, and also a bit more on Pi Day le- later on in the conversation. <laughs> but there's a danger here, Chris, that listeners are listening to this thinking, this this man's perfect here. Scottish te- Maths Teacher of the Year, <laughs> TED Talker, Newsletter. Uh, aficionado so we we need to we need to kind of bring you back down a little bit here by by talking about your favorite failure so i wonder if you could you'd pick a lesson either recently or in your past that you taught that didn't go according to plan
1: and crucially can you tell us what you learned from the experience yeah, so I mean, folk might imagine that the kind of teachers who end up on the Mister Barton podcast deliver first class lessons every <laughs> period every day. I mean, I think one of the things that I find sort of refreshing is the the honesty that you find in the maths community on Twitter, and I mean, even even the uh, the sort of title and tagline of your your book, Craig, like sums up what I think a lot of us a lot of us think. You know that it's not it's not that we land. In a classroom in a school somewhere, and then everything just falls into place. That's that's not real life. And when I listen to, to your podcast, I'm I'm sort of screaming at the, the screaming at my phone saying, "I've got loads of failed lessons. <laughs> this, this, this section is going to be a minefield. Like you just wait. I, there's a whole catalogue of disasters that I can refer to. Like so, here's here's three um, three to get get started. Fantastic. Right? Here we go. So sometimes I think the reason. Uh, for a field lesson is complacency on my part um so sometimes when you get into the swing of teaching you can you can wing it with some topics and that comes with risks and recently I was teaching a simple enough topic um art lens and sectors and I was I wasn't in my own classroom I was in a different classroom and so as I was getting ready to do this I I naively asked pupils to provide numbers for the the radius and and the area before we would then proceed to find the angle at the at the centre. And perhaps predictably, we ended up with ridiculous answers for the angle at the centre of a sector being like 1,300 degrees and stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's just and, and I'm cringing at the front. I'm cringing at the board. And and I'm like. And totally embarrassed you know this is that you're right that yeah I'm, I'm there and these guys these guys guys have seen in the local paper uh scottish months of the year there i am i've not even got an example on the board but, <laughs> that makes any sense it was you know so that sort of thing's embarrassing but that so the lesson from that one is a lesson can fail because of my lack of preparation no matter how how good i, I think i'm getting I, I can't naively just jump in and assume everything will go well
0: that's really interesting, that, though, Chris, because it, the intention's there to, like, get the kids involved, to, yeah. to show them, you pick that number, you pick that number, I'm going to show you, it works for everything. But I, I, as you say, like, it it doesn't take much, particularly when kids are learning something for the first time, to derail the confidence. Yeah. And I've been there myself. I've, I spoke about this on the podcast before, where um, I, I've not... I've not put enough thought into the examples that I've I've given my kids to do. So a classic here was I had a um a year 11 class probably about 3 years ago now whose confidence was was particularly low and we were doing um solving linear equations. And I'd hopped onto Jamie Frost's website drfrostmaths.com grabbed one of his amazing powerpoints I had a quick look at it the night before thought that looks nice. Banged it up on the board. So we done we done a worked example and I said right kids off you go on this. And question one, they were fine, and like question one came out like x equals three. Then question two was something like x equals minus two seventeenths or something. The (laughs) the kids, the kids were gone. Like all their confidence that I've been building up over the last kind of fifteen minutes, saying algebra isn't bad, blah blah blah, it had just gone because of one poorly chosen example on my part. And it's it's crucial, isn't it, Chris? Like I'm, I'm convinced. The examples and those initial kind of experiences we give our kids have to be really well thought through to to kind of get them off to a good start, and then we can introduce all the weird and wonderful ones further down the line. If if that makes yep, sense,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great one. Okay, go on, give us give us
1: another favorite failure then. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I remember a lesson I did in scale drones, and it, it was an, a lesson that I was. Really excited about. Right, we'd had a, an extension done at the house, and so I took these plans for, the, for our, our extension in the house and got them copied. And I planned a bunch of tasks, like based on the scale um, involved in these drawings. So I was thinking, you Perfect. know, we'll find the, le- the real length of the kitchen, work out the area of the living room. What's the width of a door frame, How big a bum can you fit in the toilet? <laughs> and I, I thought this is going to go down so well. It was linked to something in real life. It was tangible. and But for some reason, it didn't capture their imagination in the way that I hoped. And they, they weren't motivated by the task. They ended up mucking about. I remember being gutted at the end of the lesson but and and so you know as you do I, I reflected on it at the end and thought what what went wrong there and, and and is this ultimately something that is a flawed task that i should get rid of and but i i, did, I, I said to myself i don't i don't think this is worthless and I, I think I, I whatever's gone wrong here I, I don't think it's to do with the actual task and so i've tried to use that uh, task again with another class with completely different results and so I, one of the lessons that you i think you need to learn from lesson failures is that if something doesn't go well it doesn't that the resource or the activity doesn't always deserve to go in the bin and um, yes. you maybe need to give it a second go um, or you maybe need to tweak um very slightly how you pitch it but um don't interpret a disaster as um an you know an eternal <laughs> failure um there's always chance to, to turn things around
0: that's that's really interesting. That can, can I just ask on that, Chris? Did you do anything different the second time round? What what did your kind of period of reflection kind of teach you about what, why it had gone wrong first, or was it just one yeah. of those things?
1: I, th- I think I think it was. It, I, the changes that I did in the second time round weren't weren't massively dramatic. I think I possibly asked um, what what things could we work out. I think that was one of the things ah, that yes. I decided to do. Um, but other than that, it was very much pretty much the same task and so um so i didn't i didn't make wholesale changes and uh but that, that I th- and i think that interested me you know i was surprised um that it didn't work first time round and relieved that it did um second time round
0: fantastic um, and what have you well, got one more favorite failure
1: one one last one oh
0: this is brilliant <laughs> this is fantastic go for it
1: um so sometimes as a teacher Especially as you get older, you sometimes misjudge how in tune with popular culture you are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been (laughs) there, definitely.
1: This is is an understatement in this one particular example. So every year, our school goes fundraising crazy for the BBC's Children in Need Appeal. They sell hundreds of tickets so that pupils can come up for a day of entertainment organised by the senior students. They raise thousands of pounds. And I'm always roped in to fill in this 10-minute slot to an assembly hall crammed with hundreds of hyperactive pupils. And that so and generally, I sing some math songs. So this year, I decided to do two songs, right? One was my latest math parody song, which is uh, Use a Ruler to the tune of Hallelujah. Nice, and, nice. Yeah, I, I, but I, re, I, I thought to myself, well, this, this song has some lyrics, for example, on proof by induction. So its appeal might be limited. Um, you know, like there's not there's not a lot of the kids in this assembly hall who are going to appreciate the finer points of proof by induction. And so I had two songs. I devised um, a second song which was based on a series of increasingly tough math questions where the answer was two hundred twenty two thousand two hundred twenty two, because one of the hits of two thousand and eighteen was the song Baby Shark. And so I thought. I was going to say baby shark, and the kids would work out the answer to the question, and it would be two, 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 two. Oh, right. And okay. Yeah. Yep. It was awful, Craig. There was just silence, like tumbleweed. <laughs> like this, this is, a, you know, you, if I tried to get 600 pupils all to be quiet straight away, <laughs> it would never have happened. But when I did this, that was the, the honest reaction. The song totally bombed, and I was up there on the stage, and it was horrendous. And, um, but then I started to use a ruler song. And for some reason, kids were joining in, in the chorus. I had the lyrics up on the screen. They were waving their iPhone lights. Um, and so I've I had to learn another lesson, you know, that I, I'm not switched on as I think I might be about what young people will be into. So I, a lesson can fail because I, I just, I don't know, I pitch it wrongly.
0: That's fascinating. That's brilliant. Mate. I mean, I'm cringing for you there, but I, I'd have been with you. I'd have been singing along with you there. Yeah, that's superb that, mate. Okay. Well, um, what I'd like to move on to now is, is planning a lesson. Now it's interesting, this Chris, because I haven't actually done this for ages on the podcast. Because we've, I've kind of started branching out. We've had English teachers on. We've had teachers talking about books. We've had um, researchers on. We haven't actually had a practicing maths teacher appear for the first <laughs> time on this podcast for. Probably about six months or so now right. so i'm really pleased to come back to this question so what i'd like you to do please is to pick any topic you like and i want you to take us through your planning process to where you first start thinking about the topic to then what it actually looks like in the lesson and i'll be annoying at various points and interrupt your left right and center but just take us through in as much detail as you can chris what your planning process looks like
1: yeah sure so um, when you asked me to think about preparing a lesson for a class i was thinking about my current second year class so i guess that would be a year nine class in england is that right yeah
0: we kind of 13 and 14 year olds you're
1: talking yeah perfect and so we have eight classes in that year group and they're all set by ability and i've got two m7 so i've got the seventh class and although maths isn't necessarily their speciality yet um there are class full of characters i've had them since june and i really i really enjoy teaching this bunch um so i can't even at the start of, of figuring out how, you know, about whenever I'm teaching them, I can't assume too much. And just a couple of weeks ago, one of them, he, an enthusiastic wee boy called Robbie, he he told me in the class, you know, not, didn't whisper it to me. Just put up his hand in the middle of the lesson and bravely told me that he really struggles with telling the time. And that, didn't he didn't whisper it. He, he shouted it out as a, as we were sort of revising for an upcoming assessment. And a few of his classmates chimed in and said, well, me too. and i'm kind of glad that these i mean that as 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 horrifying as i think that might be that a a kid at that age would struggle with telling time i'm glad that these guys feel they're in a safe enough place to make an announcement like that and i think it's because we spent literally weeks working on something as basic as times tables back when i first inherited the class and uh, it was a really lovely thing to do and so that's kind of what i'm going to talk about um and as I do, I, sh- I need to make a disclaimer at this point. I'm a, I'm a secondary school teacher. I'm not an expert in teaching times tables. Um, I, and I'm even less of an expert in teaching how to tell the time. That is, a, that is something <laughs> that I massively need to work on. But um, And I can barely help Logan, uh, my son, out with at home with, with times tables. I'm short sort of routine practice. I don't have a, a massive re- repertoire of skills and activities for this because most of the time... The primary teachers have worked their magic, and by the time the the students reach me, they've they've got a good grasp of of times tables. Um, One thing that I do, Logan and I uh, have done to try and get um, some times tables into, into our heads, there was a... There was a, a TV program on, on CBBC called *The Dog at My Homework*, and uh, I was invited to be on this uh, TV show once. And it, it, was, a, it was a riot. Lots a fun, you know? But it was a, it's a ridiculous show. Um, but at, at one point, one of the teachers, uh, one of the contestants, sort of standing next to me, um, was asked what eight sevens were. And this is this woman was a Russian actress who was playing the part of a teacher, and she was clearly, like, unprepared for quick-fire mental arithmetic. <laughs> and, uh, so she took ages to, to produce the answer, and, and she sort of pronounced it, you know, 56. And so Logan, Heidi and I, we watched this clip so many times that whenever we are asked what are eight sevens, we announced it with her accent. <laughs> um, and so I guess there are wee things like that which might help... Um, but when we were starting with this class, what we did was we we started and said, "Look, what do we need to know? We need to know." Can, can I just ask? Sorry to interrupt you, mate. At this point, can I can I just ask? So, had
0: you had it become apparent through another topic that times tables was an issue had you, had you, you hadn't it wasn't as if it was on the schema work or anything like no. that you, you no. just had, you, this was the first time you taught this class you hadn't taught them previously yeah. and it became very clear that times tables was an issue and you thought yeah. right we need to get this sorted
1: absolutely i mean i spoke to the the two teachers that these guys had the year before um that that came up as a, as a biggie but also the very first lesson starter just to get an idea of where the pupils were, was a sort of mixture of calculations, and it was clear that um, times tables was something that hadn't hadn't quite sunk in yet. Oh, and it, so, yeah. So what we did was we said, well, what, what, what do we need to be able to do to do times tables? And so we said, well, there's 100, here's 100 multiplication facts. A 10 by 10, you know, a 10 by 10 grid with the multiplication, um, the multiples of the f- 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way up to 10, um, and we've got 100 facts to learn and I get that that's daunting so what we did next I, I, I would do every single time if I, if I was working with a group of a similar ability and trying to establish some confidence in, in multiplication facts and so first of all we said well are there any times tables that everyone here knows And everyone was like, well, everybody knows the one-times table. (laughs) So we were able to, we scored out every entry in the one-times table, both horizontally and vertically. And so that gets rid of 19 entries. So we're down to 81 already, just from the one-times table. And then we said, well, what about any other times tables? Well, 10's easy. Yeah? So that that gets another 17 gone. We're down to 64. And then we said, well, the two-times tables, everybody in here can do that. And so we eliminated 15 more entries, we're down to 49. And so, Just knowing the one, two, and ten times table is more than half our incredibly tough task. And the last times table that we all agreed that we knew, because we didn't want to go like go too far was the five times table and so we managed to score off 30 more entries and so we only had 36 number facts that's um, that's to, to really
0: nice. No, it's really nice that mate it's really powerful because i'm just thinking if, if i'd have done this myself i'd have probably said okay well, so we know the ones we know the tens blah blah and then present them with the ones that they don't know but by by yeah. showing them the kind of enormousity of the task and then showing them they've already know half of it yeah
1: that's really powerful it's yeah. it's far and more powerful now, than also presenting you, Oh, sorry, go, on, mate. No, I was just also going to say, like, they they the, they were they were not only really encouraged by that and boosted in their confidence of the, the, the sheer volume of of calculations or number facts that they already knew, but they also were pointing out, well, uh, the. the although they are are not strong in multiplication. I must have done some other number stuff with them because they noticed that it went from 100 to 81 to 64 uh, to 49 to 36, which is a a lovely wee geeky aside there that you uh, generate those uh, square numbers from that, yeah
0: that's fantastic that but, but can i just ask as well just just before we delve too much deeper what their because i was fascinated by the fact that the, the child was willing to put his hand up earlier on and tell you that he wasn't confident yeah. um, with the time what was their general kind of well two things really Their their kind of overall confidence in maths and their overall attitude to maths kind of at the st- at the start of the year when you when you first started with them what how would you describe
1: those two things um i would say con- confidence would be low Confidence would be low. Um, I, they are. I think we've got a good, a good ethos in our in our department. I, th- I think that the, the, the maths department is, is somewhere that pupils enjoy being. Um, and so I think they they didn't they weren't uh, coming into class, you know, sort of um, demoralised. Um, but. And they're they, they're quite realistic in terms of what they can achieve, uh, what they what they're capable of at the moment. You know, they don't they don't um, they're quite happy to, to work on a task which is at, appropriate and at their level. You know, they're not grasping for stuff that that would um, would crush them. Um, and so that's kind of where they are just now. Does that make sense? Got it. And and behaviour is is that an issue or, or not? So too bad? Yeah, it's behaviour. Yeah, they're, they're they're a lively bunch but they they are generally pretty well behaved there are um although it's a it's our seventh class there's 27 i think in the register um wow. so most of our most of our classes um would be sort of 33 at, at that age um but we've managed to keep our bottom couple of classes slightly smaller um, i know 27 doesn't sound like it's uh, <laughs> it's very small um but but that that, that helps a wee bit and um, it's the kind of class that um I've had that that's the, the corresponding class in the last two years and um you also find in there that there's um a lot of it, a, extra um staff in helping. So we've got, you know, there's a, a girl who comes in and a faith who comes in, in a wheelchair. There's um last year we had Nicole who was uh, hearing impaired, so you had someone signing for her. Um you had also support for other pupils and so um that's that can be quite good for a, a class like that, um to have that extra support um and with them. Absolutely, super.
0: Okay, so let let, let me uh, stop interrupting you now. We'll get get back to the yeah, we'll go so back. So you, you've started with the the. Oh, oh, sorry. One other thing. How come a ten by ten and not a 12, 12 by twelve? Great grid? question. Which was that? Great
1: question. Why? Yeah. So why why not? Um, I think I think I, I tend to I tend to to work more um with the the ten by ten. I think we 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 emphasise the decimal system, and um if they were going to be using 11s or 12s then we would look to 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 show them the strategies for for working out multiplication by 12 um in the same way that we would 14 or whatever so i think we show them the basics of what the decimal system and then i guess you can um extend that um i can't i can't actually remember what i learned when i was uh growing up craig it probably was the probably was the 12 times table um one to 12 but um yeah, I'm all right with just doing uh, one to ten. Yeah, I, and you know
0: what? The more I think about it, I, I think I am as well. But back to a kind of confidence issue. Like the twelves are flipping hard, and the <laughs> and the elevens are dead nice until you get to eleven elevens and 12 <laughs> yeah. 11s and so on. And I, I like that idea of treating twelves like fourteen or like sixteen or like yeah. eighteen and so on. That that's nice. That okay, fantastic. So we've got okay. we've got the ten by ten. We've reduced it. We're and, under yeah. fifty facts to to know now. What happens next?
1: So. From from there on in, I didn't want as a whole class to just be wiping out, you know, one kid says, I know the four times table, yes. um, you know, because I knew that as a whole class that wasn't the case, um, and so I, I had to rein myself in, not get too excited, not keep scribbling these answers off and annihilating multiplication <laughs> yeah. facts from our chat, unless they were universally known, and so I needed to stop for a bit, so every kid now had a multiplication grid in their jotter. And they'd all joined in and gleefully scored out the 64 facts that everyone in the class could remember. And some of them, they, they did keep going. They decided to to, to shade in maybe the four times table the nine times table. But we did. We then had to work on plugging the gaps. And one of the things that I did was I spoke to primary colleagues. I mean, one um, one of the benefits of being married to to one is that you <laughs> can pick their brain whenever you like. And so Elaine, she. She's, she knows more about this than I do. And one of the things that she showed me was a, a really nif- nifty teaching method involving a metre stick and the 17 times table. I don't know if you've seen this, Craig, but no. um, I, you can find it on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you the link later. But um, So the idea is that it really... Re- enforces the idea of times tables being more than just number facts but um it emphasizes that we're talk, what we're talking about when we say 17 times 9 so so um i don't know why people are chosen 17 pre- presumably just because it's an unfamiliar times table it works for any um times table and the idea is that you you start with a number um just a, a meter stick and you have 10 um 10 post-its on it maybe something like that post-it notes um equally spaced along this meter stick And you say, right, we're going to work with the 17 times table. Um, This final post-it note at the end, um, what would that be if we're doing the 17 times table and they work out it's 170? And then you talk to them about, well, where would halfway be? How would you work that out? Um, Is it obvious what 17 times one is? From that, could you get what 17 times two is? Could you work out from there what four 17s are or eight 17s? I mean, how would you get from 10 17s back the way to... and, And so I think that... That idea is is really powerful, and, and I, I used it um, when I was coming back to the even the the, the simple times tables. Um, so when I was going to go through the seventeen, time, uh, the four times table, um, I, I grabbed a meter stick and I stuck these um, the, the stations on, and eventually multiples on, and we, we removed those as as pupils got um, familiar with them. And I think that was that was a really and when it's done well, um, like so this there's, there's, there's um, great. Footage on youtube of, of teachers who've obviously used this over and over again and who are experts in using it and you can watch that and you can learn and you can figure out yeah that i, I maybe wouldn't do it in exactly the same style but I, 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 that technique is really powerful can i just ask chris so is is the
0: purpose of that to get them familiar with the numbers say that are in the four times table or is it uh or is it something that you'll keep revisiting and using even once they've kind of got fluency in, say knowing what four nines are is it is it an introductory tool or is it something that it kind of you keep using throughout the process of them learning times tables
1: yeah so i think that sometimes pupils don't even understand haven't even got that concept that nine fours is four plus 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 four and and so i get that that when you ask them to regurgitate nine fours, it's it's like chanting back something that they have zero understanding of what's yes. going on.
0: Yes.
1: And so one of the things that this the, the meter stick technique um, emphasizes is that this actually means something. Um, this is a this is a shortcut to a calculation that would be a pain to do otherwise. This is going to help us. This is going to save us time in the long run. This is worth worth knowing. This will this will help us with with uh, more sophisticated calculations, but do we understand what this is actually all about? And so I think that's that that is important. And so um it would mainly be the meter stick would be used at the when when we're beginning to, to reinvest in that times table, but we could come back to it at any point.
0: Got it. And and my other question is so we've got this class of twenty seven kids. Yeah. Is this um how are you kind of keeping them all, I don't know if engaged is the right word, but what, what's your kind of questioning here? Is it asking them what's behind this post-it note, all have a think on their own, then picking someone at random, or is it one-to-one questioning, or think-pair-share? What, what's the kind of logistics of, of what, you, what how you're running this activity in the class, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, at this stage, it would still be very much, um, I'd be at the front, I would be making sure they're all giving me their attention, I want them all pencils down, I want them all looking at me, I want them uh, ready to to answer a question, Um, I tend to to invite questions um, just from, rather than uh, hands up a lot of the time, Um, and so they all need to be on the toes, they all need to be all set for explaining things. And uh, eventually, I'll, I'll be encouraging them to come up and to take the meter stick and to to talk through a times table. Maybe the one we've just done. If if, if I'm finding that it's taking a wee bit of time for this to sink in, or, or possibly to introduce a new times table and say, well, you you've I'll give you the the post-it notes um, in a random order. Where should these go? And, and and how would you explain that to to the rest of the class? Um, but that's that's kind of how we would be doing it at this stage. Um, i'm still trying to make sure that everybody's with me and uh, we're, we're, we're working through these things together
0: got it and can you just give us a sense of time here chris what um how, how long is this kind of the meter stick process of, of this last thing roughly
1: so the, the meter stick thing will take uh, first time that you do it it might take 20 you might be doing 20 minutes you might be doing um 15 15 20 minutes just to explain yes. what's going on with that um obviously one as they begin to to, to get the idea with that and you're looking at a new timetable. you don't it would not it would not take as long for them to figure that out and the idea is that once you've got all of these multiples on the stick you're, you're taking these off um as they as they learn them and you're, you're testing them on ones that have, have now just disappeared from the meter stick um, and and yeah so that's uh, it could initially be 15-20 minutes.
0: And is there any, um, I'm just thinking back to, to classes that I've taught in the past where it's been clear that there's been some foundational knowledge that's been missing. And I know one problem I've encountered is the kids will be saying, well, this is like childish maths, like this is four-year-olds or five-year-olds mm. are doing this. Was there was there any resentment like that or were they all just kind of collectively aware that this was an issue that, that needed sorting?
1: I think the fact that we had collectively done this together, I think that was the kind of where I was um the kind of the point I was making about the, the time thing was that these these kids were saying well I know that we spent time with mr. Smith doing these uh this mul- multiplication stuff and we've all done it together and no one's been an outstanding expert no one's been no one's been like I know every single times table. You can test me right now and I will i I'll smash this out of the park. Um this was a, and so it was it was something that we needed to do together. It was a journey we needed to go on and to, to figure that out. Maybe if it had been a mixed ability class that would have been a that would have been a real struggle. I don't think I could have done the same thing. because um, I think that would have been frustrating for those um who were really sharp with their times tables and it would it would have been pretty um tough going for those who were were um were ropey at them um, but because we did this as a class let's let's do this together we want to be as a class amazing at these i want everyone in here to be able to do that and so that's why we didn't just score off um numbers to begin uh, number facts to begin with unless everybody was ready to move on with that
0: god fantastic well what happens after the meter stick
1: yeah so i mean we would sort of wrapped times tables into our normal daily routine you know like every Every Tuesday with this class is Tricky Tuesday, so I show, them a, I show them a number trick or a card trick or something that has maths underpinning it and try and sort of wow them with that. Um, and so I used the famous um, 21 card trick, um, I'm sure you've seen it before, it actually appeared recently in a number file. and the idea is that you have, have cards um, in, a pile, in three piles, seven cards in each. Um, and you you, you do um, an iteration of this um, process, uh, but because it's it's a, a repetitive thing, there was an iteration. I was I was telling them this was all about. Uh, it was a tribute to my favourite times table calculation. Three times seven equals twenty one. And so every stage I'm re-emphasising this I'm saying I'm going to pick <laughs> twenty one cars from the pack and I'm going to count this. I'm going to do it by counting out seven piles. How many will be in each pile? Oh, that's nice because three times seven is my all-time favourite calculation. Um, now I'm going to put pick a card from a bundle of 21 cards, and I'm going to arrange them into three piles this time. How many are each pile? Oh, yeah, it must be seven, because three times seven is 21. That's my favourite table. Nice. And it got pretty excruciating after a while, but <laughs> dramatic sort of conclusion to the card trick, um, we tested a few random tables. Well, they thought they were random, but I was, I was choosing from a list of familiar ones, but I was also now throwing in three times seven, seven times three, and... When seven times three popped up, everyone was sorted with that, um, because I'd been going on and on and on about it. And there was even a few uh, kids near the front of the class who were looking at me with a sort of knowing glance, like, "I see what you did there." <laughs> I don't, I don't think you can really sustain that sort of thing for a whole, a whole series of the entire, the entire grid of multiplication facts. But something quirky like that can work for one or two. And so I followed up on that by asking the, the students, do you, "Do you have any strategies for learning multiplication facts?" And there's was a, a, a wee boy, Callum, he told us that he liked the fact that if you had the digits 5, 6, 7, 8, well, they appear in consecutive order in the calculation 56 equals 7 times 8. And I had oh, never thought
0: of that. Oh, no, me neither. Like 5, that.
1: 6, 7, 8. And uh, so he was saying that's an easy one for me to remember um, because five, 56 equals 7 times 8. And a few of them, they were keen to share their observations about the nine times table and with descending and ascending digits and some well-known sort of finger trick. Um, so that was that was worth exploring, I think, and not only for them to to show sure that they were, in some sense, an expert on a on a on a on a small part of this topic, um, but to give potential strategies to the other um, the other kids.
0: And are these, um, are, are these lessons that, that are going on, are these exclusively kind of times table focused lessons or are you are, are these kind of just little segments of lessons where, you, where you're where you covering all the maths topics for the remainder of the lesson, if that makes sense?
1: No, that makes perfect sense. So, I I mean, I, I do have quite a lot of routine in my class. Um, I, the kids come in, they'll ha- do a few questions to begin with, starter questions on the board, we'll review them. I'll do a sort of fact of the day, which is a wee... I'll have a wee doodle down in the corner of the board, which is uh, uh, related to the whatever date it is, and I'll tell them a wee story from history. You, geeky, nothing nothing to do with maths. Um, and uh, after that, we'll, we'll plough into the rest of the lesson. And I had decided, um, I'd taken the, the decision that I wasn't going to move on. Um, obviously, in Scotland, we break up at the end of June. So I got this class at the start of June, and I sort of had three weeks with them. And I decided that that was, that was going to be the, the bulk of all of those lessons um, I was going to you know I was going to do whatever I could to, to, to build their confidence in um, in times tables and so we would use loads of resources like um, Numeracy Ninjas and online package Sumdog and uh, we've got a thing called Maths uh, Workout that we use and and um, so sometimes it was computer based, sometimes it was in uh, JAWS, sometimes it was with wee activities. But that that was our that was our plan. We were going to try and work it, work as well as we could on um, on timetables. And so the, the the whole lessons would be de- devoted to that. And at the end of each lesson, I'd get a I'd get a beach ball, and on each panel of the ball, I'd have written a timetable question with a sharpie. And then they would come out in in pairs and they'd throw the beach ball to each other. One of them would catch the beach ball, shout out the calculation that was in front of them, four four eights, and the other person had to shout out the answer 32. And then if they managed that, it would be launched back to them. They would read the question that they could see facing them. And and the idea is that they were trying to get the the highest number of correct answers in a minute and would have a high score written up on the board, which people would try and... uh, try and beat each day, and of course for any activity it's important to model how it should work, so I asked this lovely girl Faith to come out and help me and Faith still reminds, reminds me um, how I got a bit overexcited and hit <laughs> face with a <the> beach ball <laughs> um, but uh, don't worry, she got her revenge a few weeks later when she ran over my toe with her wheelchair um, so, uh, so that uh, this was very much, this is what we're going to do guys, this isn't just uh, we're going to do it 10 minutes um of times tables practice, this was each lesson. Um, that was our that was our aim. We were looking to, to do that, and I definitely think investing time with this class, not as well as the sort of um, confidence, as well as the the building up uh, that this is a safe place, and you can you can express uh, confusion you can express uh, an inability to do whatever you like that was important and i think it's it's i can see that it's improved their fluency and times tables it, that was worth it if, i don't worry about putting questions into our starters that involve multiplication division it's clear from their homework uh, their weekly sort of retrieval practice exercises their assessments that they're coping well and um, with the, this basic numeracy skill and so that's like mission accomplished i'm, I'm delighted with that and was there any
0: um, any requirement for them to do any homework in this three-week period in June, based on times tables? Did they need to do anything outside of lessons?
1: So our I would uh, our, our, uh, that class get homework once a week, and it's a sort of online quiz that I set on um, show my homework, which is a package that we use in the school. Um, and so they would definitely have had at least a couple of questions on um, times tables built into, into that every week. And that was, I would say, fairly bleak. <laughs> back, back in June um, those were questions that were, were not as you look and analysed that looked at the results you could see yeah, this is this is something we need to work on. Whereas now, when I look at the the results um, each week, um, I probably I probably do fewer questions on on times tables, but they have questions in that homework which you know they require them to be able to multiply, uh, require them to be able to divide, and I can see that they're getting those right even in context. So there's a, a big difference um, there
0: got it and um i just want to return back to to the start of the lesson now you mentioned you do something with the date i'm going to i'm going to ask you about that a little later on when we talk about (laughs) pi day but but the other thing you mentioned was the um the kind of starter questions that that you set for your kids um what do they look like and and where do you get them from chris
1: um i'll typically uh, i'll typically generate these myself um some occasionally starter question might be a puzzle from the newsletter but generally it'll be um, practicing uh, reinforcing key skills and uh, so it'll be um for this class it would be find 20 percent of 380 it'll be uh, work out three quarters of something it'll be some sort of basics basic questions um i do tend to make at least one of the answers uh, turn out to be either uh, the date or uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite one of my favorite numbers or something like that and um, so uh, one of those one of the questions in the start will always uh get a groan from them uh, <laughs> as the as real that i've done that um but actually challenging them to think about how would you act, how would you generate a question which has the answer 2018 or how would you generate a question which has the answer 3141 how do, how do i go about that um and they they soon realize that it it's doesn't take uh, it doesn't take a genius to do that and that uh, actually the, the process of working backwards is something that they can uh, they can do yeah
0: Got it, and and just to dig into this a little bit further, because listeners love to know about the the, the kind of practicalities of, the, of these routines. Uh, can, can I just just to clarify, are the questions on the board as soon as the kids come in, and, and yes. how do the kids do the kids kind of answer them in the book in silence, and then the answers are projected up, or is it a, can they discuss with their neighbour? How does it how does it run run this activity?
1: So the the questions would be up on the board um, ready as the pupils come in. They come in and. The routine that they get needs to be established um, at the start of the year, is that they know to come in, to get their jotter out, their bag, to just get on with those starter questions. And as, after a, after they're all in and settled, I've hopefully done the register in that time, while they've been just working away, just do that. And then they will we'll go over that as a class. Um, we, we talk about the strategies, and we we encourage them to to talk about about. Uh, about methods for solving them. Um, I mean, I would probably have them working fairly quietly during this se- this session, but um, if they're, as there often is, at the end of the starter task, a, a, maybe a problem-solving type question, um, or if the whole starter has turned out to be a sort of puzzle, then... I don't mind them uh, work, they work together and they try and solve things um in pairs where they're sitting um and yeah that's always it's always good to hear them uh, talking and coming up with their strategies and sharing them together so um we do a lot of a lot of talking um both as a both in in terms of them working together and um, but also now as analyzing solutions and discussing those and 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 explaining the the sort of merits of each one and and the appreciating um, nicely nicely um posed solutions
0: got it um now you've kind of in this three-week period focusing on times table. You've you've gone into to quite a bit of depth with the kids, and and it's you've got a nice kind of slow pace that was that was needed, obviously. And it sounds like from what you were saying, from kids' homeworks and what you've seen this this academic year, that this has kind of sunk in. Um, has that made you readjust how you've taught other topics with this group? Have you have you adopted a similar policy, or is it? A, have you found that once they've got this foundational knowledge you're able just to go back to whatever it is whatever's on the scheme of work
1: yeah i think i think um these are the the addition multiplication subtraction and division these are these are fundamental and, and there's no progress is so limited if you don't have have that um up your sleeve as a, as a skill and so we definitely that was something we, we needed to do and i would have done the same if they'd have if addition had been a a major issue or something something big like maybe place value the place value skills were were pretty good and so i didn't spend a lot of time on that like but if if it had been then i think i would have done a similar thing um but so far we've been able to make progress with the rest of the schema work and follow the follow the pattern um in in the program of study um so that's 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 where i'm with that
0: Got it. And and final question um, for me on this particular bit. You mentioned you do a, a weekly retrieval um, activity or, or assessment. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, Chris? Um, again, what does it look like? Where do the questions come from and what happens to the kind of the marking process? Who marks it and what happens to those uh, th- those scores, if anything?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm by no means the expert on on retrieval on, uh, at all up here in Scotland. In fact, I went and visited um, Stuart Welsh, who you know. He's yes. At, at Mass 180 on Twitter, and uh, Stuart and I. Well, the plan was that we were going to talk about all this retrieval stuff. Actually, we just caught up and uh, chatted for uh, a few <laughs> hours and went out for dinner. But we did a wee bit talk about uh, retrieval, and he was he was going on and on about how the impact that that had on his classes. Um, and so I, I'm quite early in, early on in this process. But every Friday, um, the pupils come in, and they instead of starting the start on the board, they get a, a wee booklet that they've got, and they're working on 10 questions, and question one will always be a question on area question two is always a question on addition or subtraction question three might be rounding question uh, five might be an estimation task whatever it is and the idea is that they do this same sort of same sort of skills um each week and we uh, they get to do that and they don't get long to do it it doesn't take take very long i'd say maybe Less than 10 minutes, certainly. And uh, after that, um, that's one one where we just I just give them the final answer, and they they mark their own jotter, uh, their own wee booklet. And at the end, they they then record um, the scores as well on the back. Um, not so much the scores actually, which which ones they got right, so that we can yes. look for trends, we can look for patterns. And um, yeah, I think they found that quite interesting. Uh, some of them obviously didn't follow the instructions correctly, and just if they got seven out of 10, they just shared the first seven boxes which was most unhelpful um because so, uh, i wanted to know which of the seven they got right and to see if that was something that we could work on and, and, and i found that i found that really helpful actually and some um and i'm gonna i'm gonna continue with it but we are, we are early on in that in that stage in that practice um of doing a a wee retrieval test the questions were um i'm sure it was an old numeracy um booklet that i found on tess uh, if i can find it craig i will um pass that on to you and so you can have the link but um it was it was nothing nothing really uh groundbreaking just 10 skills uh, repeated each week and after 10 weeks we're going to move on to 10 different skills and just work on, on those for a bit
0: Got it. Fantastic. Now, now, following directly on from this, Chris, I um, whenever when I announced that you were on Twitter, uh, that you were coming on the podcast on on Twitter, questions questions were coming in, and the <laughs> most the kind of most common trend that I was getting was about time management, and I've broken this down into kind of two things. And um, the first is. You're obviously a very kind of creative teacher, whether it's your pie Day activities that we're going to talk about later on or, or your puzzles or, or even just using the ruler, some of the some of the techniques that you've outlined already. So how do you find time yourself to actually find these kind of creative activities and plan how you're going to deliver them in the lesson? where does that is? It, is it a struggle to find that time or have you got a secret, secret formula to do? <laughs>
1: um so time, time management is tricky. And um, just before the Christmas break, I was speaking to this, about this, with some anxious students. They were freaking out about how to balance exams with celebrating Christmas and New Year with the general busyness of life and part-time jobs. And we spoke about having a sort of revision timetable, one that's realistic. Like, don't block off a seven-hour uh, session for doing fast <sighs> papers if, you, if you're probably needing that a lie down after just one um, <laughs> it should allow time when you're socialising because that's really important to be able to unwind, friends and family are important and I told them to leave gaps for things that they love to do, if they're into films, leave a night free for a trip to the cinema, if they're in an orchestra leave time to go and play your instrument if you go to your grands every Thursday for tea then guard that time, I mean I don't have such a sort of formal timetable for my hectic life but I do sort of prioritise my schedule and uh, maybe a few things just to uh, that on that first of all I think uh, I, I think people need to and I, I think I'm getting better at this learning to say no um, I, I get asked to do hundreds of other projects and stuff but I, I only choose to do the things that excite me most um, so uh, learning to say no uh, where it's appropriate I should say <laughs> um, you can't say uh, if your boss tells you you're working on Thursday you can't just say uh, no <laughs> but you get the idea with that Um you need a, you need an understanding family. Like Mrs. Smith's amazing. Um, she's so patient and like supportive with all the things that I get involved in. And my my three kids are just now also not too embarrassed by their dad, um, so I can rope them into geek- making sort of geeky videos and co-presenting <laughs> at conferences and stuff like that. I'm not sure that will always happen. Um, thirdly, um, I don't I don't need a lot of sleep. Like I'm always up by. 6am, and so I tend to get a lot done on like Saturday morning during the holidays when everyone else is snoozing, because that you can take advantage of that. I'm still up at the same time, and I'm um, I'm on the laptop or I'm uh, working away. Um, uh, Fourthly, maths isn't just my job; like it's kind of a hobby too. I I enjoy puzzles. I'm interested in uh, reading up about maths histories or watching documentaries, and so in that way, that makes time management sort of less of an issue you know i think i I understand that not everyone uh, is like me in that sense and so if they were going to spend the amount of time that i do um looking up geeky stuff then that would be a a sort of commitment and investment for them but for me it's just something i enjoy doing and um I, i guess also some things that i get involved in um, that we've, we've maybe even spoken about already today are, are sort of seasonal so like, I do have in my life a constant biz of family and, and church and work and the newsletter and all the whereas a lot of the other commitments that I have focus around a particular time of year like the Enterprise and Maths in Scotland national finals that we organise um, it's in November, Maths Week Scotland activities are around September our maths camp and Pi Day, they're around March and um, I guess there's always a a conference in the near future which I'll be preparing for but but basically Craig I, lo- I love a wee project I, I can't even stay still when everyone else is out the back sunbathing during the summer like you know that during that lovely weather you know Elaine's like why why don't you just lie down like, and, and, and get a tan and I, I'm like, That's, I, I couldn't do that so I, I ended up grabbing paint and painting our hut and I'm looking out at it just now and it's ridiculous like it's it's yellow red and blue stripes just because that was paint i had left over from the living room and like honestly look it looks horrendous but i I spent like a good few hours doing that just because i I, i'm always i'm always on the go and uh yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll burn out at about you know 45 or whatever but i'm gonna do as much as i can before that happens
0: (laughs) that sounds great and the, the the other question chris and um i hope this comes out the right way because this is something I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with myself uh-huh. um in terms of kind of decisions you make within lessons themselves so one, one of the things that dylan williams said to me years ago that's always stuck with me is that every decision a teacher makes has an opportunity cost because yeah. if you spend 10 minutes doing one thing it's 10 minutes that you, you're not spending doing something else so for you is there ever a conflict be t- between doing all the creative fun engaging activities that you clearly do and you you outlined some when you were talking about pythagoras as as your favorite topic before versus doing some of the more kind of straightforward routine practice that we certainly know kids need for them to be able to gain fluency and for things to stick is is that ever a
1: conflict for you or or not um so first of all I, i don't want anyone to think that Every lesson that I teach is a riot, right? Sure. Um, we're not like you know setting things on fire all the time. It's only sometimes. <laughs> it's not. It's not like it's not like we're out uh, you know outside um, doing doing mad activities all the time. In a lot of ways, I'm you know very traditional in my teaching. Routine's important. I spend lots of uh, time each lesson talking. I think that's important. Um, I give out regular homework, but I do also take the time for enrichment and. Maybe that's for amazing competitions for the guys mm, like the teams at uh, UKMT or SMC or the Right Angle competition. Maybe I'm going to pause things in a lesson to have a focus on Pi Day. Maybe I'm going to devote a whole week to mass puzzling during um, and team competitions during Mass Week Scotland. Maybe I'll have James Grime and wowing the kids with the Enigma machine or Adam McBride convincing them of the value of maths in the modern world or Emily Grossman revealing career opportunities following a career in maths or science. But you know what, I think that pays off, because motivation is absolutely massive. If you have kids who are keen, then you can easily get involved in wacky projects without missing out on the core bits of the curriculum. I know that you learn maths by doing maths, and so we, we practice maths, and we practice maths, and we practice maths. But perhaps these other kind of things are less of a distraction and more of a sort of dynamo for learning i see and do, again
0: just to dig into this just a little bit deep because it's one of my obsessions this chris when you spoke before about um, pythagoras and the um discovery is not the right word because again you were very clear pythagoras has already been discovered but it's for kids to kind of spot these relationships themselves do you ever find again any frustration for kids from the kids who, who don't spot the relationship versus those who do and get a lot out of those kind of activities I, and the reason I ask is I've, I've, I've sometimes found that in the past where you get some kids who are buzzing from this who you, you've set in this challenge they're away they, they can figure it out whereas other kids perhaps can't spot the relationship get frustrated and then this is the introduction to the topic so by the time they mm. actually get round to doing Pythagoras and, and and working out questions and all that kind of thing they've already switched off a little bit and decided this is this is perhaps too difficult or not, or not from them is that ever something you encounter or again is is that not a concern
1: well um one of the things i would say about that is that you, you don't want to flog something for a full full lesson um where pupils are getting um frustrated by something yes. which you're at the end of the day going to just reveal and clarify and formalize um, however i think there's i think there is value to explaining what life as a mathematician is like. Um, not every math problem is solved within fifty minutes of yes. a period. Uh, that people who struggle for years. I think talking about one of one, probably one of the reasons I went into uh, math or got excited about math was with Andrew Wiles, um, like figuring out Fermat's Last Theorem while yes. I was still at secondary school. That's amazing. That's like almost four hundred years worth. Um, and obviously that ties nicely to Pythagoras. Um, but this is this is something that happened like. In, over a long period of time, not him personally. Four hundred years, ago, <laughs> uh, Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Wells. But that that idea that um, a, a problem is is not always going to be solvable straight away, and actually that that that's not the way that maths works in the real r- real world. People spend months and years and decades and centuries trying to solve things out. And I I, I sort of lost track of the number of times where um, I've been stumped by a puzzle, and then. Or a problem, and, and woken up during the night, <laughs> and uh, nudged <laughs> Missy Smith to let her know, and she's been totally <laughs> disinterested. And, uh, but th- that's sort the of idea where your brain is still working on these problems. And so um, one of the one of the competitions that are, um, we do up here in Scotland is a Scottish Math Challenge, and these the problems that come out, they only get they get five problems, and they've got they've got maybe three months to solve these problems. Wow. This isn't designed to be here's an hour. Uh, to do these questions this is these questions you will wrestle with and you'll struggle with you won't complete all five and actually some of them will take you weeks to try and get your head around and to, to figure out and that's that's not a bad thing and that's that's a lesson worth learning and, and we want to see resilience and we want to see um people who are dedicated to problem solving and, and so to that frustration that frustration isn't always a negative that can lead to Massive, massive uh, encouragement, you know, because if someone gets that problem after wrestling with it, how much more valuable is that? How much more um, do they do they take away from that experience? Got it.
0: Okay, Chris. So I want to turn our attention now to resources. Now you've you've already mentioned early on that you're a member of the very prestigious Tes Maths panel that that I run, and I'm very lucky um, as Tes Maths advisor to have come across and used many of your resources in my own lessons over the years. And you've got some of the most popular, like your Maths Relay one. Um, it's how many how many times has it been downloaded? You you'll know more than me on that one.
1: Um, I'm not actually sure. It says it must be over seven hundred thousand. That's certainly wow. it's the reason that you know my resources are over a million downloads. That's the that's the biggie. That's the most popular by, by a long way.
0: That's phenomenal. Over a million downloads across all your resources, and yeah, I, I think last time I checked, it was certainly over six hundred thousand for for that one. So first off, I mean again i'm fascinated by resources and you obviously have put plenty of time into this let's talk about your relay one in particular and we'll put a yeah. link to this in the show notes and um, tell us a little bit about it and why, why do you think it's so popular chris
1: so um the relay race is um the idea is that um a, a relay race would be 16 I've, I've chosen to make it 16 questions because that covers four sheets of a4 but i'm printing it out and the idea is that you print out a set of questions for each team in your class. Um, I would have uh, teams of maybe three people at a time. I find that um, in a team of four, there's always at least one person slacking. (laughs) Um, A team of two, there's... Sometimes it can be that one person's more dominant than the other, and so one person tends to do all the work. So I I think three is probably the optimum um, for a group, for relay races. And the idea is that people run out, they grab a question, um, they try and solve it, they come back with the answer. If they're correct, they get on to the next question, and they work through um, to see who can complete um, all 16 questions in the time. Um, So why why would that be popular? Um, So I think it's popular... Because it's, it's a good resource. I mean, I, I I'm saying that myself um, because because I use these every year. You know, I use them at the end of term um, because there's there's seasonal ones. There's one for Halloween and Christmas and Valentine's Day and Easter and summer and some non a few non seasonal ones as well. And this me this is a useful this is a, a worthwhile activity to do at the end of term. Um, this isn't. Let's shove on a DVD. This isn't just like, sit on your phones, guys. This is let's let's do some let's do some maths. You'll have some fun. This will be competitive. It will be a bit of a riot, um, but we we'll we'll enjoy this. And so um, I think it's a it's a worthwhile task for me to do. And I remember hearing um, Dan Meyer a few years ago talking about um, one of his resources that, that I've used before, um, and it was the, the the resource graphing stories. Oh yes, um, yes. And I I remember one of the things, I mean, as well as that being an exceptional resource um, where pupils watch a a video clip and try and graph what's happening in that story, as well as that being a lovely concept, as well as it being well executed, one of the things that that Dan Meyer was challenged on over and over again was this idea that how on earth could you spend so much time uh, creating this resource? And uh, Dan Mara said, you're probably right. If if all I had done was created this resource and used it with my class, or even used it once a year with the class at that stage, then that probably, the investment of time to create it versus the actual um, payoff in the class probably wouldn't be worth it. But because so many people have used it, that, this is a no-brainer for, for for Dan. He says that that's totally worth it, and it's the same for me with my mass relay races. You know, they maybe take uh, maybe each one would take me a, a day um, to to create the full thing. You know, a, a full shift it would take me a few hours. Um, and and if I use that with all my classes, that's quite good. If everyone in my department uses it with their classes, that's even better. If... Hundreds of thousands of people are downloading them and using them. Well, that's that's amazing. That's an that's a brilliant, brilliant thing, um, and, and that makes uh, that investment of time minuscule in comparison with the payoff. And and I think one of the things that's so lovely about Tess um, is is the free content that people teachers sharing with other teachers because I think that's just a, a, a lovely thing about our profession. Um people who are willing to do that, um that's just, that's great, you know, we get into the into this job because we want to help people, we want to help pupils. Um and so and helping each other out is, is also really, really nice.
0: Fantastic. And what, what do you look for, Chris, as both a kind of resource creator and a, and a resource user as a maths teacher? What do you look for in a resource? What, what makes a resource a good resource? This seems like a trick question, boss. <laughs> um,
1: can, <laughs> I've been doing this for you for a wee while and you have never given me any criteria on what's <laughs> the review <the> materials. <laughs> but um, I, I think there are, there are key things that I look for in a resource. I mean, I, I want it to be, it's got to be error-free. Yes. Um, I'm not. Uh, that's and I would. I would always hope that I would um, rather than lambast someone online who's put up a, a resource but that I would rather uh, contact them in some way to let them know about an error that I spot. Um, it's it's very easy to spot an error and to fire in a, a one star review on on Test. But. That's not really in the spirit of things. Um, so I do want it to be error-free. I want it to be ready to use. I mean, Jo Morgan, I heard her um, talking about this with you um, recently, and she said that, um, and I'm, I totally agree, I can't be bothered depersonalising a resource, yes. um, stripping it of school logos that don't correspond to my school, or dates, um, <laughs> the specific date in which uh, the person used this resource <laughs> appearing in a PowerPoint. It just seems like a redundant thing. Um and also, I kind of wanted to offer more, something more than a textbook that I could grab off the shelf. You know, I have access pretty much to textbooks, um, and so I'm I'm always looking for something a wee bit, a wee bit creative, a wee bit different, a wee bit innovative, and just something that's slightly different from from what I've seen before. That that's what uh, that that would be one thing that would um, grab a, a five star um, review from me. Um, something that oh yeah, I've never thought of doing doing that before. Yeah. Got it.
0: Fantastic. And um, again, I'm just, just wondering, are there any kind of, uh, this may be a really bad question, Chris, but Scottish maths resources out there that you think perhaps uh, English listeners or overseas listeners could could benefit from? Any kind of gold mines that may be untapped by us clueless clueless English folk? Uh,
1: no, there's nothing up here in Scotland <laughs> that <work> looking at. <laughs> 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 no, um, as I said before, uh, I'm by no means the expert in education in Scotland. You know, you want to, you want to. Listen to folk like Stuart Welsh at Maths One Eighty. You want to listen to Chris McGrain at Chris McGrain Eighty Four. You want to listen to Mr. Allen Maths, Michael Allen. These these folk are much uh, much more clued up in a lot of the research-based practice, cognitive load, retrieval, memory interleaving, all that stuff. And these guys are worth following on Twitter, um, and they have websites with with loads of of useful stuff. Um, I'd also say the, the Scottish Mathematical Council. I mentioned them earlier. That's a rich source of sort of mathsy goodness. Um, there's and, and the, the beauty of it is you can you can go on there and you can use um, the mass competitions once they've been uh, once they've finished in Scotland they, all the, the resources are up there including solutions. Um, there's an annual journal which has has a lot packed into it. It's really worth looking at. Um, we run uh, run the largest mass conference for Scottish teachers in March each year and it's it's huge and brilliant and um, there's loads to to enjoy there and. Of course there's, there's loads of loads of great teachers up here and loads of great resources and competitions and events and I think one of the things that I would uh, encourage um, English, math teachers to think about is a, a Maths Week England. I mean, we we aren't we aren't the first ones, you know. Maths Week Ireland is has is massive and well established. and been good for ages. But I think Maths Week Scotland has been incredible. Um, it's showcased so much of the creativity from in maths, so much of the passion and enthusiasm that we have up here. Um, the Making Maths Count group have really been doing loads for keeping the momentum of that going. I mentioned earlier about the the Deputy First Minister's Holiday Maths Challenges that we helped to put together. And and that's that's a lovely way to encourage um, families to, to to play around with numbers and uh, mathematical uh, properties during the during the holidays. It's, it's fantastic. So I would say there's yeah there's lots of things to to, to to look at and and feel free to do that because there is no doubt that we are uh, stealing everything we can um, as, that we see online um, down south and <laughs> uh, further afield. So go for it
0: superb i still like the way you say down south because to me that that's that's just london but yeah i'm a a southerner to you chris aren't i yeah yeah.
1: absolutely
0: never mind right okay i want to move now to your newsletter because this this may be for for a lot of listeners the things the thing that you perhaps know most for um so give us a little bit of background about your newsletter chris where and when did the idea come from
1: um so this is this is a shameful confession craig (laughs) it's it it's uh, the idea was pinched from the English department. Oh, oh no.
0: Jesus. We'll, we'll I, cut that out. We'll I, cut that I don't, out.
1: I don't know whether you, you want to end the interview here. But, <laughs> uh, they had a similar newsletter for their department, and I thought that was a great idea. It would be helpful for making sure everyone in the math department knew what was happening in terms of assessments, meetings, reports, competitions, the all important milk rotor. Um, so, and it, it freed up the departmental meetings from that sort of admin, that sort of stuff that you you needed to know about, but could it not have been passed on some other way? I wanted it to be somewhere that we shared our favourite resources or lesson ideas. But ultimately, I was also looking to get a full-time job after my probation. (laughs) 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 Um, So the newsletter started with these kind of selfish beginnings, but um, now it's sort of massively popular and benefiting more folk than I could ever have imagined. It started back in 2007 when blogging or podcasting uh, wasn't even a thing and i've stubbornly stuck to that same format a two-page pdf emailed out every week wow
0: 2007 and yeah. at what point and how did it break out of being just an internal newsletter
1: <laughs> yeah that's a good question so one of the things that it happened every time someone visited the department maybe it would be a new student teacher maybe it would be someone who um, taught in our school and got a job elsewhere where I got a promotion, um, they would that say to me, "Well, how do, I, how do I keep getting the newsletter?" Because at that point, it was a lit, it was a literal newsletter, a physical printed, uh, two sides, colour A4 uh, printed <laughs> newsletter. And so they were saying, "I, I was saying, I'm not going to email that out. I'm not going to um, deliver that post yeah, out." Sure. So at that point, I decided, no, I need to I need to make this an electronic um, situation as well. And so, anytime anyone visited the department and saw saw them lying about the staff room, they said, "Look, I, I, where, where can I get?" Um, a copy of this and so i would add them to the list and um, after a few years of doing that someone suggested you should have a sub- subscriber count up in the corner and so that get added into the newsletter and, and so it would it would grow steadily um and maybe i would speak at a conference and then i would get out at the end of the con the, the talk i would say if anyone would like to sign up for the newsletter and so you'd have this spike uh, where the subscriber le- numbers would go up and uh yeah, that's kind of how it's how it's gone, um, and so now it's it's read by people all over the world. It's it, it's honestly amazing. I get lovely emails from people in, in Canada, and America, and South Africa, and Australia, and India, and um, all over the place, like continents you know that I I've certainly never been to. But um, that's that's fantastic.
0: Wow! And give us the current numbers, Chris. How, how many subscribers have you got at the moment?
1: So I've got about two thousand eight hundred subscribers. Um, and these guys would be in the main teachers some of them are retired some are just math enthusiasts or puzzle lovers um, who uh, don't actually ever uh, use any of the stuff in their class but enjoy um, just a wee bit of geekiness once a week and uh, I know yeah it's, it's really um, incredible that, that I have um, so many people reading it and like big names in maths like Hannah Fry and Johnny Ball and James Graham and Matt Parker, like they they've been that a newsletter from a wee geek up in Scotland, and um when it came to the 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 ten year anniversary of the newsletter. I decided I was going to convince some well-known faces to pose um, with the newsletter. So the proclaimers, they, I've got a picture of them <laughs> posing with the newsletter. I, I wrote a, um, a maths song, a, fi- a massive version of "500 Miles," so that seemed fitting. Um, the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, posing with it. Um, and I know this one is one that you're particularly. Uh, um, I knew you'd
0: br- of. I knew you'd bring this up.
1: Yep. Countdowns, Rachel Riley. <laughs> Jeez. Oh yes. So she's. You can see a, a, I've got a photo of her posing with the maths newsletter, and she's wearing a wee badge that says "Mr. Smith says I'm a maths legend." <laughs> so,
0: yeah, <laughs> that is uh, absolutely incredible. So no doubt, if, if listeners listen to this, they, they'll, they'll want to get involved. But before we give them the details, just just give us a sense of the content. What, what what's covered in these this two page PDF, Chris? So there
1: are um, there are still I still use it. It's still used in our department. So there are things in there that will have zero relevance to thousands of people every week <laughs> so 2,800 people get the newsletter and 2,790 don't need to know who's buying the milk uh, to go in the fridge that week but, so there are some things in there that you can skip one past but in there you'll find number facts in there you'll find a weekly puzzle in there you'll find a, a silly thought for the week in there you'll find um, lesson ideas resources um, you'll find links to big mass events you'll have mass news you'll have a uh, Links to helpful videos, um, so there's there's a whole jumble of things, and it's it's kind of the, it's kind of the sort of stuff I would want to know about. I guess I, I know um, there are some people who only look at the the weekly puzzle, and I know there are some people who only uh, look to see read the the silly thought for the week. There are others who are only interested if there's a resource, and so. Um, Different people look, will maybe pick things from the newsletter each week. Um, but for me, all of that stuff that's it, in there it, it appeals to me. And I, I know that if, if I was reading the news, a mass newsletter, I would be uh, interested in all that stuff. So um, it's not a completely altruistic uh, <laughs> endeavour. <laughs> and what, where do where do you get the content from, Chris? So so, so it comes from all over the place. Like some some of the content is ancient, right? Okay. Some of it is wet. You know, people will be like, yes. Everyone knows that, right? Okay, and I'm I everything think, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that until recently. <laughs> some of the stuff is, is, is things I've seen recently, maybe on on Twitter or shared on on Tess. Some, some is uh, invented, admittedly, from my sort of weird uh, brain. Um, and actually, that's been that's been massive for for me. People say, how do you how do you find the time or or where on earth do you find all these things? But I'm convinced that the newsletter has been the single biggest factor in sort of keeping my teaching career alive. The constant quest for content has made sure I've never stagnated because I've been always generating, constantly uncovering new ideas to try and share out, try out in my classroom and to share in the newsletter.
0: Geez, and if possible, could could you give us a bit of a flavour? Perhaps some of you, whether the puzzles or favourite yep. features or whatever, just give us a bit of a flavour of some of your favourites from over the years, Chris.
1: Okay, I'll let, so I'll tell you, I'll give you maybe one feature and one one puzzle. So, Fantastic. Um, so here's an example of the the weird journeys that i go on to try and find puzzles so um there was a there was a puzzle a wee while back um and i had discovered this puzzle in an obscure journal and i I mean it's obscure the journal was called the mathematical questions proposed in the lady's diary and it's been back in the 1700s right so um i I read this and this is a question um proposed in 1779 and answered in 1780, question 742 by Mr. John Penberthy. And here he goes, right, this is the question. <laughs> I'm in love with a damsel, the pride of the plain, have courted and taught in a Vedian strain, but vain is the rhetoric used by my tongue. She says I'm too old and that she is too young. From the following equations, dear ladies, unfold if she be too young or if I be too old. And that was followed up by these two equations, x cubed, plus X, Y squared equals 4,640 Y, and X squared Y minus Y cubed equals 537.6 X, where X represents my age and Y the damsels. So this this is like, what what even is this, right? I I like (laughs) that because it's from an obscure source. I like that it it was in in poetry form. I like that it captured the imagination of my newsletters, uh, readers, especially when you get to the um, slightly creepy solution. <laughs> um, I'll leave that, I'll leave that. And I also like that um, Dave Gorman, um, the comedian, he responded on Twitter to solve this one correctly. So um, this one sort of captured the imagination of lots of people, um, including those who uh, I wasn't expecting, like uh, Dave Gorman.
0: Wow, yeah. that is, that so that is very,
1: brilliant. That's, that's, that is a puzzle, and I, I guess a feature, um, one of the things that I featured recently was... Um, sort of wacky collaboration that i got involved in recently um so i've been speaking at the uh, mathematical association conference up here in scotland Uh, it was at Stirling university and one of the um, things that I'd shared in, uh, as, as the delegates were arriving was um, a, a sequence, and I challenged the, the delegates to figure out um, what number came next in the sequence. And there was a sequence which um, started 2, 4, 6, so you, oh, yes, yeah, the even numbers, is <laughs> Um But then it goes 30, 32, 34, 36, 40, and, um, and so this part, I had put up these numbers, and uh, one person managed to solve it. So that was uh, Professor McBride. He He figured out that all of these numbers... Um, if you wrote them out none of them required the letter E right so um, for example one wasn't allowed because it uses an E three wasn't allowed because it uses two E's uh, five wasn't allowed and so um, he figured this out pretty quickly and this is a this is a number a sequence called the E-ban numbers because the, num- <laughs> the letter e is banned and actually since we've done this and uh, not I'm not saying that it was anything to do with us but uh, it's become a number file video uh, Neil Sloan's talked about the E-ban numbers um, so that that's amazing um but Adam and I started talking at the end of this le- at the end of my talk and we were saying well what's special with the num you know the letter e why couldn't you ban the letter T or the letter o or whatever and he was saying well if you banned the letter O, that would be amazing for at least two reasons. First of all, um, eventually you'd get to numbers like thousand and million and billion and trillion. They all have O in them. Yes. So maybe this could be a finite sequence. And secondly, there's a wee port town in, up the top of Scotland called Oban. <laughs> so I thought, this is this is too good an opportunity for us. <laughs> so I contacted Oban High, got in touch with the master department there and said, look, I think you should do an open n- number challenge. Um, and they're like, "What's an open number challenge?" And I said, "Well, I've just made it up. So this is what it is." <laughs> and I told them, like, "We're going on the first day of uh, the week. Um, you're going to have an assembly. You're going to talk about geeky numbers. You're going to show a video that I'll make, which talks about different number sequences, and then introduces what's going to happen during the week. During the week, pe- uh, there'll be..." Num- these Ob- Oban numbers that nobody knows what they are are start- going to start appearing all over the town and sure enough the, the department were well up for it they, <laughs> uh, they, 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 uh, they put posters up in the Tesco's and in the cinema and all over the place and so um, the idea was that pupils, were gonna, pupils and members of the public because it was in the newspaper and everything they were going to be going around searching for these numbers and trying to get this geeky connection between them all and so they spent a week doing that i, I was able to uh, go up on the friday um and we mm-hmm. entertained a few classes and then after that we awarded prizes to uh, kids who had uh, two girls who had uh, figured out that these were indeed the O band numbers wow. and so um so that's a sort of uh, that's a sort of weird like collaboration but it was it was lovely to be involved in that and to sort of um kickstarter and also to have a reaction from the folks at oban uh, to get involved because they could have quite reasonably said what are you talking about uh, don't contact us again but um, no that was that was fantastic
0: that is incredible that um, and just before we tell listeners how they can sign up and um, i just wonder like whenever you come across something like that whether it be the eban numbers the oban numbers or or an interesting sequence or that puzzle from the 1700s How do you go about working that into your lessons if you do? Because I know I've been guilty of this in the past, Chris, where I've I've discovered something really nice. And I thought, right, this is going, all my classes are going to be told about this the, the next day. And regardless of what we're doing in the scheme of learning or whatever, and I'm dead, dead excited about it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all, but sometimes it can almost kind of feel shoehorned in there. It's just, I only do these things whenever I kind of come across them, if, if that makes sense. Do yeah. you have a Do you have um, a kind of like a few kind of golden rules or anything or, or about how you bring these into your lessons or do you have almost like a self-imposed limit that you're only going to show kids <laughs> two puzzles a week or something? How do you use all this, this wealth of fascinating areas of mathematics that, that you've got? How, how do you actually make use of them with your own students?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and, and you know, I have to be honest that not all of it does um, feature in my lessons. I mean, I include puzzles in the newsletter that are um, hopefully uh, catering for a, a whole, a whole age range. So I, some of the puzzles that I include in the newsletter are for challenging the readers, the maths teachers themselves. Yes. Some of them are, are, are beyond your typical student that you would, you would teach, or that I would teach in in, in secondary school. Um, and some of them, I, I occasionally get emails back from people saying um, the puzzle was too easy this week. Um, and my response is always, well, it depends who is answering yes, that question. Yes. And so some of, these, some of the questions, um, that are, puzzles that I put in the newsletter, which are, are easier, maybe have some neat uh, neat discovery or, or neat uh, understanding issue that actually I think is worthwhile exploring with a particular class. So... Um, it's, I mean, while it's normal for me to unleash a sort of resource or lesson idea in my classes to try it out, um, I, I wouldn't do that with every class. Um, I would choose them uh, sparingly, um, and I would, you know, so that it would be depending on um, their ability and, and the, how appropriate that that puzzle or that resource would be to them. And so they might they might appear in something as simple as a starter question or in a, a sneaky homework task, um, but they they might never appear in my in my teaching. Another thing is, you know, there are things which I think, oh, that's a brilliant idea, and I'll do it for a wee while, and I'll forget all about it. And uh, actually, when Jo Morgan did a, did a wee um, a, a feature in her blog about my newsletters, because um, she did looked at some of the, the oldies, and um, she mentioned stuff and I was like that was that was great I, I remember that 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 working really well why haven't I why do I still do it and I think it's 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 nice to have that, that record um over 11 years of writing the newsletter I can go back and say oh I used to love doing that or oh, kids responded really well to that but um it's just got squeezed out or you've forgotten about it over um umteen summer holidays yeah
0: do you, do you still dip back into the old copies, Chris? <laughs> yeah,
1: but I, I'm very, uh, I do cringe a wee bit at the earliest ones. So um, there'll be times where people say, look, um, can I get a, the entire back catalogue? Can I, can I see the, the archives way back to 2007? And, I, and I, I, there's a wee bit of reluctance there <laughs> um, just because I, I, I do cringe and I think some of them weren't as, as, as polished as I might like <laughs> them to be. Um, but I, I do have a, I do have a store of them. And, uh, you know, if people do persist with that, then I, I usually uh, let them in on, on, a, on the, wee, the wee treasure
0: trove. <laughs> Super. Well, you've, there'll be listeners jumping at the bit here, Chris, to so know how they can get involved in this. So we'll, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. But just for people who, who can't even wait for those to be released, how, <laughs> how, how, how do listeners sign up to this newsletter?
1: Yeah, I suppose I should come up with some more sophisticated way of this happening. But <laughs> essentially, um, people just email me. Uh, so you just email me and my email address is aap03102 at com, And I add you to the list of subscribers. And the, there are more sophisticated ways to contact 2,800 people each week. <laughs> but I, I still really value that personal contact that I get with people. Um, because every week there'll be 20, 30 people, some of like that. Who, who reply and they maybe tell me something that's happening in their life, or they will say something that they appreciated about the newsletter this week, or they will say, "I have this. Is this the solution?" Um, or could you give me a wee recommendation of where to find more stuff like this? And I really, I really enjoy that. And so, although um, there's probably a, a nicer way to have a have a blog and just have people click on something um, and get a, an email update, the fact that people reply to me um, every week uh, quite often. Uh, the email responses make my week if i'm being honest
0: oh that's lovely fantastic and as i say there'll be a link straight to that email address and um, in the show <laughs> notes and um, i want to ask you now chris about um maths camps or revision events and the reason is i know you run these and whenever i've tried to do something similar in the past it's never gone to plan so i wonder if i'm basically selfishly trying to get a bit of advice from you and also when we put this podcast out in the new year, inevitably it'll be around about the time where exam revision and that build up starts beginning and teachers will be looking for effective ways to bring kids together for kind of special one off re- revision style events. So to kind of kickstart this, this conversation, just tell us about some of the ones that you've organized in the past, if that's all right.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, we do two big Mass revision uh, events each year Um one is a one day event it's our halloween mass revision day so uh, we get up at eight o'clock on a saturday morning um, the pupils come along to a local restaurant in the in cumarnock the town where we the school is and uh, they come along in their halloween mathematical costumes (laughs) and so you have an oh just some really lovely geeky examples of pupils who have have really got the bug and they they come along maybe dressed up as a a number jack uh, with carefully labeled axes (laughs) um, or you know just just really really clever and uh, so they come and we do a few hours of revision um, in the morning Um, and obviously we have some I uh, cook breakfast in the morning. It's Scotland after all, <laughs> and uh, we also have our lunch after it. And then later on in the day, we go um, to the local um, dry ski slope. And we do a, an hour of tubing just to uh, get some some actual uh, activity, uh, physical activity. And you know that's that's been a, a a really a really nice event to do. And we've probably done that usually with about uh, between twenty and thirty students. Um, but the main one that we were, we were known for is, a, is our mass camp. And so a few years ago, um, it was actually it was Chris Mcgrain who invited me to provide some CPD for the mass staff at Lanlithgow Academy. And so um, there was a wee bit of uh, bribery involved. I said, that, okay, the deal is if I come and do that, um, you're gonna, I'm going to be allowed to pick your brains on the mass camp that you've been running for a while. And so it was. Uh, it was the, the folks at Linlithgow Academy who um, who told us all about what they did. And so in, uh, when it came to our first maths camp in 2015, um, we launched our very first one based very much on the programme that they had in place. And so um, we were delighted that 60 students signed up for that very first one. Um, and since then, the, the event's grown every year. And this year we'll be taking over 100 students with us this March. And the format is dead simple. We go away for the weekend, we get the bus away and we over that course of that weekend we spend 15 hours of supported study revision sessions. These are punctuated by sort of meals, activities, we hire inflatables for an afternoon. We have a ceilidh <laughs> a, a, a featuring Scotland's number one band, Jigger. Of, course, of course,
0: Yeah, they've come <laughs> up. They've...
1: <laughs> uh, we have a quiz on the Friday night. It's full on, but I'm always so excited about these events and they're an undeniable like, highlight of the year.
0: That's fantastic. And I wonder, Chris, are there any secrets to making them work? And the reason I ask is because... What I've tended to find in the past is the almost the novelty factor overrides any kind of serious work getting done. So we've done it in the past where we've taken kids out of school to like a local activity centre and we've tried to do kind of a couple of hours of focused work, then we'll do an activity and so on. But the kids are just so excited to be out of school and somewhere different that the last thing they are thinking about is the maths. And I just worry sometimes that I've certainly not they've not been as effective as as, as uh-huh. they could have been so i wonder yeah what are the secrets to making them work so
1: um this i'm going to tell you what my three top secrets would be and um, for making these things successful there may be more um you should um i asked one of our students um eva to write an article for the Scottish Mass Council journal, which is will be coming out in January. And so she's writing an article all about Mass Camps, a so sort of a student's perspective. And maybe nice. she'll tell you other other things that would be worthwhile um, looking into. But for us, the three things that I would say are secrets to its success. First of all, it's attainment. Actually, we now have a few years worth of data that points towards the fact that Mass Camp work. Attending Mass Camp for our kids will improve their grade from the prelim exa- exam in January to the final exam by between five and nine percent more than those who don't go, and so that's like a that's like a band or maybe at like maybe at a full grade um, difference in the final exam. So that's that's a really powerful um, motivator, and so kids sign up because they know that in the past this has made a big difference. Um, and I, I guess as as it becomes more successful this year, I'm, I'm a wee bit reluctant because uh, we have a massive percentage of pupils going, almost ninety percent of the pupils are going. And so um it's gonna be hard for me to make that same comparison with those that go and don't. So I need to be careful about that. But um certainly in the few years that we've been having this, it, there's been no question that it's uh, it's boosted our um attainment and the pupils um individually. Um another another thing that we would point to is the fact that we properly and, and this will be no surprise to you. We geek this thing up. <laughs> you know, everyone gets a mass camp hoodie. They get to personalize it with their own mass uh, mass nicknames. Obviously, I've got Chris Thagardis from earlier. <laughs> um, the the pupils I, I make up um, personalized mass tattoos, like transfers for all of them, so they all are wearing like these. They come home from mass camp with uh, mass tattoos, uh, pie, and uh, all this sort of stuff. So it. It's utter geek chic and, uh, you know, that that really, that, believe it or not, they're up for that. They do, they love it. And uh, the third secret would be that you need um, an enthusiastic, sort of generous staff without the Mass Department volunteering their time over the weekend you couldn't run something like this. No. We've got a team who get on well, and they go along. They come out a weekend, and actually, it really strengthens the team spirit. Do you know what I mean? We have great, a great uh, laugh together. Um, we really enjoy working together, and uh, the evenings um, there's always a great, uh, great hilarity um, among the team. That's and, super. Uh, So I think. These would be these would be things that I think are, are make it successful. I mean, I've, one of the things I've got in Tess is um, full mass camp reports and resources that we use, and so people can download that and, and read um, our tips on, you know, getting grants to help fund these things. Tips on uh, or a wee idea of the program for the full weekend, an idea about what, where we went, um, the budget, um, on how to structure it, and why we think it's worthwhile.
0: That's superb. And if you could send me a link to that, Chris, I'll put that in the in the show absolutely, notes as well. Yeah. And I was going to say that um, one of the things that I've certainly found most useful about any of those kind of activities is in terms of the relationship between you and the kids. Yeah, afterwards, absolutely. It's, and again, it's, what's fascinated me about have, doing this podcast over the years is Dylan William for, for all he's into, obviously, formative assessments and, and now cognitive load theory and all that kind of stuff. Whenever I asked him, and first time he was on the show, what's the single most important thing for for teachers to know? He said it's that the relationships are the key. The, the key to key to everything. The relationship between the teacher and the learner. Because if the if the kids don't trust you, if maybe don't like you, don't don't feel ready to listen to you, and so on and so forth, then it can be really really problematic. It doesn't matter about cognitive load theory or retrieval or anything like that. If the kids aren't aren't interested, almost in you and and value that relationship then then it all kind of falls apart and something like this kids seeing you out of school you being out of the kind of formalities of the classroom doing something fun together it can be so powerful can't it we shouldn't we shouldn't undervalue that
1: absolutely that that is definitely definitely a factor and i know from um experience it i think back to university and the the guys who were lecturing us and some of those guys were are incredibly intelligent, new maths inside out, until level that I will never ever achieve. But that they, they, they weren't interested in the teaching side of things; they mm-hmm. were they were all about the research. And so the lectures and the interaction with the students it was it was, it was poor. And although I loved my time at university, I, I knew I knew there were people who were naturally gifted teachers, those who were naturally gifted researchers, and some. Sometimes those things don't mix, and so I think teachers they have to be passionate about the subject because otherwise that's a hard sell. you know I, I, I would never want to um try and, and, and teach um a subject that I wasn't passionate about because you know I, I think I, that would, I would really struggle with that, but also I think you need to have a, you need to be interested in young people you need to want, want to work with with pupils, um and to help them out and I want, Maths camp is brilliant for re- relationships absolutely
0: fantastic
1: right final
0: kind of main thing i want to speak to you about chris before we hand over to you for some reflections in your big three is of course pi day now i think there'll be a legal requirement for me to speak to you about pi. <laughs> it'll all be kicking off if i don't so um just to kind of set the scene like you mentioned like your favorite topics were pythagoras when you were a kid and simultaneous equations when did pi kind of come onto the scene for you as being something that you're particularly passionate about <laughs>
1: that, I mean that's a good question and I get asked that so so frequently it's not real um, and I'm not sure that I'm able to answer it I do remember um, one of the things that I remember doing and it was maybe more just a distraction than anything else but when I was at university um, my mate Andy and I were, were stud- studying for a, an upcoming exam and we'd said we'll take a break from studying, uh, we said what, what we do <laughs> I don't know why but I said, why don't we come up with some uh, neat, neat way to help uh, memorise uh, pie? <laughs> and that, this is like the opposite of revision, uh, or the opposite of a break from revision. Say, like, this is like this is like geeking it up. Um, so anyway, and I remember writing this wee this wee sentence like, "Hey, I have a great discovery to recite." And the idea was that each word. Um, the number of letters corresponded to the digits of pi. Yes. And I, I, and now I realise that this is a whole genre. I've got a book in my cupboard where someone's written a whole book based on this sort of wow. strategy. Um But I don't, I don't know, and I, I think I'm I'm probably more into maths generally than than people uh, imagine. You know, I, I do make a big thing about Pi Day just because it is a it is a nice day to celebrate Pi um, and. I think the pupils do think that I genuinely have a um, an, an obsession that would exceed um, my, my passion for, for life itself. and uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly they think my, my, my family would come second to, to this <laughs> irrational number but that's not the case. Um, but it's, it's brilliant to be able to use this day as an excuse to celebrate um, pie and, and mass in general.
0: Superb. Well, what have been some of your favourite pie day escapades over the years, Chris?
1: So... I mean each each year like we try and make it make it memorable and these things start off as like a a spark of an idea and I try and I try and get things firmed up and usually about December or January time there's always there's always hiccups, there's always problems. I'm not never sure whether Pi Day is gonna be uh, the culmination of all these ideas or whether it's going to be a <laughs> massive massive failure uh, but thankfully so far it's been all right uh, sometimes the the pun comes first you know we did a water-based <laughs> one so it was hydrotherapy this year <laughs> we, we did use blowtorches i'm going to admit to doing that risk assessment in retrospect uh, <laughs> but that was for pyrotechnics uh, we, we built pie scrapers and oh we've done we've done loads of things i think my, my favorite year though is still um, 2013, and we did we did two things that year. Uh, one was that we wrote the lyrics for and performed the Pi MCA. And <laughs> one of the things I love about this is that it was it was not my idea. Right, okay, I was willing to run with it, but this was uh, a boy. Joe said, "Sir, you know what about a math song? You know, instead of the YMCA, why don't we do the Pi MCA?" the pie Maths Class Anthem. Do you know what I mean? And that, I just thought that was a, oh, brilliant. And so we took that and we wrote a whole bunch of lyrics... I brought the piano into the class. The kids said, "Right, we'll make up a we we'll make up a wee dance routine for the chorus where we we, we pair up to make, to form the the, the letter pie." Wait, since it's since we're doing a, a village people tribute, we should all wear fake mustaches. So <laughs> these guys were going for it big time. And so we we filmed this and uh, recorded it, and it was it was just brilliant. I still these guys have all like finished school. They're, they've left school. They're off to do well, a variety of things, and I, and I know how their their life. Have panned out. You know, some of them are off at university. Some of them had, have had tough things to go through. Um, but as I look at those pictures, I see a bunch of kids who were uh, really enthusiastic, um, really, you know, singing their hearts out, shouting, <laughs> shouting about um pie. And uh, that, that um when it came to the Museum of Maths in, in New York, MoMath, they had a, a pie, uh, a pie song competition, and the Pi MCA was like the winner for that um, for the age category. And so sort of like international um, music competition, so uh, amazing, um, so I, I love the PIEMCA and I still watch it and I still appreciate uh, Kevin dancing up in the back left corner, he is amazing That uh, is, 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 is a thing to, thing to behold um, wow. but that Pi Day also culminated in something which I, I called the road to PIE Day so uh, you have to rewind a wee bit in the calendar to um, August 2012 and I'm driving into school, I've got this terrible wee car, um, which is sort of creaking, and it's uh, yeah, it's not it's not not a glamorous uh, vehicle to be driving about in. But anyway, I, I'm looking at the mileage in this thing, and then uh, the mileage was round about twenty eight thousand, and uh, I was thinking, as all geeks do, that eventually. If this car lasts that long, it'll get to three one four one five miles, right? So I'm thinking thirty one thousand four hundred fifteen miles, and I, and I don't do a, a lot of miles in the car. Certainly not that car. I wouldn't. I don't choose to drive it if I if I've got any other opportunity, any other uh, option. <laughs> and so I went into the class. I said to the kids, how my car is at 28,000. You know, we're hoping it'll reach 31,450 miles. When do you think that would happen? And they said, I don't know. And I said, well, neither do I know. But I'd be keen to find out when, what would happen. And wait a minute, guys, how amazing would it be if we landed on that total on Pi Day? <laughs> and of course, they say, well, that's never going to happen. I'd say, well, it could happen. Like, I didn't know if it if it was possible, but so they said, "Well, what's your right? Give us your exact mileage." And so we, we started with a, this this massive chart in the class, and uh, we decided we were going to track, we were going to plot my mileage every Monday. And so every Monday, the pupils would ask, "What's your mileage, sir?" And so this was weird. Like this is something that I I could almost justify to people that I would get excited about. But this was every every people in my class was getting excited about this. What's oh, so the mileage today? And can I plot the mileage and look at what's happening with this? And so um, everybody was invested. Eventually this b- chart begins to, to, to head in the right direction. Um, but there are there are trends to discuss, you know, like we, why does the car not move during October? October holidays, I don't actually use my car unless I'm coming to school. You know, all of these things. And it, well, eventually classes were, who, who knew how to work out like the best fit, were saying, well, can we not project and work out like whether we're going to be close? And I'm saying that's a brilliant idea. We can work out the gradient and all that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, but we need to know how many weeks it is. And in Scotland, the number of weeks from the start of term up until Pi Day is 31.4 weeks. Not, I didn't, <laughs> we didn't know that in advance. But this is just amazing. And so it comes to the big day, and I'm up in the classroom, and the kids ask, "How did you? How do, what's the mileage today? This is the big day." And I have to say to them, kids, I'm sorry. Um, it's 31,414. or one mile under. Friday's Day's cancelled. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, no, we didn't. We went out into the car park. There's a wee roundabout at our school in the car park. And I drove around that final mile with the kids cheering and shouting um, <laughs> and a camera on the dashboard so that we could get the mileage. And we got to that 31,450 miles on Friday. It was amazing. Um, and so these, these are the kind of things that um that one could have been a disaster. I could have hit 31,415 in December or the the following September or something but somehow it managed to pan out alright. Um and so that was amazing and one that I don't think we'll forget for a while.
0: wow now that I mean that that sounds absolutely incredible, Chris. And the the thing I wanted to say about this and this is something that again me and Joe were talking about in that 100 Math Gems podcast is in in my book i write about um i call it the swiss roll incident and i I describe a teaching experience i had where i tried to teach equivalent fractions basically via the medium of a swiss roll and it was it was i thought at the time it was one of the best things i've ever done in my life the kids (laughs) will kids were loving it they're having a great time there was like a bit of cream on my glasses all this kind of stuff and about Three years later, and I tell this story in the book, I bumped into one of those kids. She was there she was in year seven then, she was in year ten when I when I spoke to her, and she was still speaking about this Swiss roll lesson, and I said to her, just out of interest, Veronica, what was that lesson about? And she said Swiss <laughs> She said Swiss rolls. She had no she had no concept that it was related to fractions yeah. whatsoever. The thing she'd taken away from it was Swiss rolls. Now Whenever I started reading about cognitive science and cognitive load theory, I think I ought, there's a danger that you can go too far the other way. And to think, alright, we need to kind of make sure kids aren't latching onto these inconsequential, irrelevant surface structures like Swiss rolls. So let's strip all that kind of stuff out and focus everything on, on the maths itself. The retrieval, the drills, the, the work to example from pairs, all, all these kind of things. Whereas listening to you kind of telling that story, like that is something that's going to stick with the kids for for the rest of their lives. Whether it's the Pi MCA, whether it's the the road to Pi. Now you you you, you can't put a price on those kind of experiences, and I think it's they. If we look at it in kind of pure kind of cost benefit analysis terms, you're going to get a lot of benefits from that in terms of again, we go back to relationships, we go back to happiness, we go back to to motivation, engagement, yep. just fun, like talking about mathematics. So the, there's, there's got to be elements of that in the kind of diet of what it is to, to experience mathematics in the schools that we teach in. But of course, the, there's a balance, isn't there, that you don't want to strip too much of that out. And at the same time, you don't want too much of that in there because there's all the fun. But then there's not actually the solid foundations to to kind of grasp what is so special about all this math that's going on. Yeah. I don't know if that, any of that makes, makes sense at all, Chris. And, and what? if that again is is that ever a concern to you to to try and get that balance right if that makes sense
1: yeah and i i think I, I can entirely see that um that that makes sense that we need to be we need to be we need to be looking for opportunities to motivate and to, to nurture good relationships and to make things memorable and to increase enjoyment i think all these things are really important and, and um and i think it's 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 vital that we also recognize that there's there are, there are, there's a curriculum to learn and we need to do that and that these things are um where we might have gimmicks uh where we might have things that that are events or one offs that that we look back on and think that was that was that was fun and uh, i think I think people will remember that um yeah I, I don't I wouldn't go overboard I mean you could do you could look at the entire um school year and and you could be marking every single big maths moment and uh, you know I, I when I was speaking recently at um at an event I was saying look I'm I'm not saying that you should all go away and devote uh dedicate pi day 14th of March every year to to pi day celebrations but I, I, I can see enough merit in this sort of thing that I would say, pick a day. Pick a, pick a day that you you want to do, whether it's the um, National Numeracy Day, pick World Maths Day, pick... Um, and another day in the calendar, and, and go for it. You know, Mass Week Scotland. If that's if that's going to be what you're going to do, that's going to be where you um go and be unashamedly uh, geeky and creative and memorable. Then then do that. Um, you're not going to do it. You're not gonna do it every year, every day. You're not going to do it um every month. But if you think, I, I'm going to just pick a specific time and I'm going to to go mad for this. I'm going to put all my creativity into this. I'm going to make something special and memorable and uh, something that that the kids will remember that will end up in the local papers and that will get maths, uh, the, the profile it deserves. Then I would say go for it.
0: Fantastic, and we're going to be putting this podcast out just towards the end of January 2019, if all goes to plan. So Pi Day is is not too far in, in the future. A bit of a world exclusive, Chris. I don't suppose you can reveal <laughs> what the plans are for Pi Day 2019 at all, can you?
1: Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a wee bit nervous because I'm not I'm quite far quite far behind in my Pi Day preparations <laughs> for this year. But I think. And this is not prompted by anything that might, or might might have happened involving drones recently in the news. <laughs> but I think it might be something uh, with an aerial tribute to Pi, pie from the Sky. And uh, <laughs> I think the idea might be to strategically arrange a few hundred kids so that a drone can capture something geeky from above the playing fields at the school. But um, for this to happen, I'm going to need to do a wee bit more prep. Um, but it will give me something to drone on about for years to
0: come. Nice. Fantastic. See. We'll, we'll certainly watch out for that and and finally just before we go on to reflections you, you mentioned at the start that um one of the kind of regular routines in your lessons is to focus on the date and we've we've spoke a lot about pi day but i know you do a lot of work just generally about dates so um any good dates coming up so as i say, we'll be putting this out late january are there any kind of mathematically interesting
1: dates coming up that teachers should uh, look out for Uh, Let me just give you one, Um, here's here's something that I I love to do, Um, so what about if you ask your students at the start of the month, how many minutes are there in February, and uh, because the answer for that can be written on the board very quickly, it's eight, as long as you put an exclamation mark after the eight, (laughs) so there's a fantastic way to introduce factorials and to to talk about that, because eight factorial is exactly the number of minutes there are in February 2019, only when it's not a leap year
0: wow and my mind's just wandering now <laughs> thinking well why is there eight eight factorial that is very very nice i like that chris Superb. <laughs> okay right time for some reflections now so my, my first question to you is is what piece of research or book has most significantly influenced your thinking or your approach to teaching in general
1: um i'm not a, a massive reader actually craig and there, but there's there's no question which books shaped my attitude towards teaching and towards life in general. For me, it's it's the Bible. And uh, this is, this was strange because the, the judges for the, um, when the UK Teacher of the Year judges came out and interviewed me, um, their first question after spending a day in our school was, um, how does your Christian faith influence your teaching? And although I definitely, you know, I, I do love maths, my motivation for teaching is rooted in a, a desire to do my best, generally, for Jesus. I hope that I'm a, as a result of, of what I read there, that I'm a, committed, compassionate, helpful, patient, reliable, honest, sort of trustworthy colleague and teacher. Um and so that would be that would be my answer to that one.
0: Jeez, I thought you were going to say how I wish I'd taught maths by Craig Barton, well, but I'll, I'll take that number two behind the Bible. I'll take that.
1: In, in the notes that I typed up, I, I had writ, written, I'm sorry, it's not your excellent fake, uh, but uh, yeah, everyone's reading that already anyway.
0: Um, I, I'm aiming for similar sales as the Bible, so <laughs> fingers, fingers crossed we'll get there eventually. Okay, uh, question number two. What's an example of something important you've
1: changed your mind about? Yeah, so when I started out as a teacher, I... Um, I imagined that I'd follow a very clear path, a route that led to being head of department and then maybe even further promotion. Maybe I'd be a head teacher in a a few years after qualifying. And um, and I did have a a wee stint as an acting head of maths, maybe for about a year and a half. Um, However, during that time, I learned that there's a reason why I became a teacher, and it's, it's not to spend less time in the classroom and focusing on paperwork and admin and management. I, I love to teach. Every day, there's no exaggeration, every day I enjoy the interaction that I have teaching maths to young people. And, you know, it's my aim to enthuse kids about maths and to inspire them. And some, some might think that that lacks ambition, uh, but I'm committed to be a classroom teacher. We need good classroom teachers lots of them that we need we need excellent practitioners and that's something important that i think i've changed my mind about that actually um that we need some of our best folk being uh, in the classroom um, and not being promoted out of there
0: and can i just ask chris are there any yeah. routes in scotland for um kind of teachers to stay in the classroom because i know when i was first training i was an advanced skills teacher which essentially meant i get i got paid more but to stay teaching and then four days a week i was in my own classroom and then one day a week i was lucky enough to to visit other schools and work with other teachers and, and that for me was was excellent and, and that got phased out is there anything similar in scotland that enables teachers to progress in terms of money and career but remain you know firmly within the classroom
1: so it sounds like we had almost exactly the same uh, system in place with that something called the chartered teacher scheme and it allowed uh, people to do a wee bit of extra, um, a wee bit extra uh, study, and then become a charter teacher and stay in the classroom, but get a wee bit of extra money, move yes. up a scale. But again, similar to the scheme that you described, it's it's no longer uh, you can't start that now. Um, so that's that's not there anymore. And I think given how things are in education, I'd be surprised if that was something that um they managed to find a budget for. Um so that's that's no longer the case. But um I, I'm not saying this from in any sort of bitterness. I, I'm absolutely content with, with what I earn, I'm absolutely content with the job that I do. Um I love it and so I'm quite happy with uh, with my lot.
0: Super fantastic, and final question for me, Chris. What do you wish you'd known when you first started teaching that you know now?
1: Um, ah, yeah, I'm a I'm a maths geek, of course, right? I <laughs> I'm convinced that maths is a wonderful subject. I, I know that it's living and it's useful. I know it's a, a rare blend of logic and beauty, but that's not always the the public perception. And sort of over the years, I've realised that it's it's dead handy to. have have someone on your side in the local authority's PR department. Because if you've got someone there, um, someone in the council who who can get stuff in the papers and get it on the the internet and get it on Twitter, then when pupils and parents and the rest of the school see maths, news items appearing regularly, um, it it boosts interests, boosts enthusiasm for the subject, whether it's High day, a mass camp, or competition, competition success, or wacky projects. I wish I'd started promoting the great stuff we do in the local news studio. So my, my recommendation would be, if you're starting out, um, find out who it is in the in the, the local authority where you work, and find out who it is you need to be contacting to get um, this stuff um, out there, because that's really that publicity is invaluable. That's great advice. Fantastic.
0: Okay, Chris, well, it's come to the point in the interview where it's time to hand over to you for your big three. So, what three websites or blog posts would you recommend our listeners check out? And I'll put links to all of these in the show notes.
1: Um, So, the first one that I would uh, go to would be um, Gapminder World. Um, It's an incredible website and it's packed with fascinating, reliable data. I sometimes spend a, an entire lesson just exploring trends and finding surprising correlations looking at the changes in life expectancy and wealth and health and education over time and the inequality that still exists based on where you live it's it's an eye-opener it's definitely worth a look and i haven't i've yet to have a class who weren't sort of wowed by um what gap the world can do
0: Yeah, I'm going to second that Chris. And and also um, this was something I mentioned on a, I think a maths conf takeaway podcast last year was that um, I'd not revisited Gapminder for for some time and it's had a load of updates recently and it's re, I mean, I didn't think it could have got much better, but there's a load of teacher supported stuff that the controls are easier to use. It's easier to export the data. Yeah. It's it's quite simply one of the best websites I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, absolutely brilliant (laughs) choice. Brilliant choice. Okay. What about number two?
1: don't sh- shoot me down straight away here don't shoot me down I'm going to say <laughs> Wikipedia right hear okay me, hear interesting me, go on hear me out right so I get that it's in- edited by random punters and that means that for a short time there can be dubious content on there temporarily right but two things to point out in that first of all If you do make an erroneous edit to Wikipedia, you might be surprised at how quickly this is remedied. So once a year, I demonstrate this to my class. Um, We edit our school entry on Wikipedia or a celebrity page or something like that. You know, make it up that um, Barack Obama went to Grange Academy. And and (laughs) we keep refreshing. And inevitably, by the end of the lesson, our hilarious fact has been rectified. Wow. And so, actually, uh, the stuff on there is, is more robust and, and more uh, checked than you might imagine. And also, just the sheer volume of information on there is, is simply staggering. The access to this is a, is a real gift. My, my kids, Logan, Heidi and Daisy, they're 9, 10 and 11. They, they won't fully appreciate they can find out things that their dad would have had to hunt down in a library when he was their age. They, they've got all this information at their fingertips, and I think that's amazing for all sorts of things, for finding out about mathematicians and number facts and, and theories. and oh, it's, it's, it's incredible.
0: Fantastic. That's a great. And would there be any particular way you'd, you'd use this in lessons? Would it be predominantly for kind of math, famous mathematicians and, and facts about numbers? Or is, is there anything else that you use Wikipedia for?
1: Um, well, I'd say, you know, sometimes uh, if we're trying to um, estimate things, um, possibly we'll say, right, Oh, well, how would you, let's work out the volume of, the earth well where are you going to find that you're going to find it in yes. wikipedia of course you are and so the kids will ask from time to time or well how far is it from here to the moon or how you know what what width is a human here you know if you're looking for an example in scientific notation then you know there's it's right there at your fingertips and so i, I think uh, that's that fact finding um on the on the cuff uh, when you don't have a clue as to the size <laughs> of this number uh, wikipedia bails you out there
0: that's fantastic and what what about number three
1: um, the last one that I would go for um, would be some, a blog called a blog and podcast called Futility Closet, and um, this is this was started by a guy called Greg Ross, and he he churns out a sort of eclectic mix of quirky stories, unusual facts, neat puzzles, and a lot of other sort of fascinating content. It, it really appeals to me. Um, it kind of I've managed to recycle lots of the posts over the years in my mass newsletter. Um, I even had a wee mention on there back in 2016 for pointing uh, Greg in the direction of something called the Hollywood function. Again, uh, you can check that out. I'll, I'll give you a, a link to that one. But I think Futility Closet is kind of the closest thing that I have to um, being the kind of thing that I would like to read once a week. I already said that my mass newsletter has content in there that I know that if it landed in my inbox, I'd be interested in. Uh, Futility Closet is a wee bit like that for me. It's the closest thing that I've found
0: that's fantastic well what a wonderful selection and there'll be links to all those in the show notes plus the resources that that chris has mentioned um well we have come to the end of the interview and all that remains for me to do is to to thank you chris for for your time uh, speaking to me today but also thank you for a a number of other things Um, selfishly thank you for your relay races (laughs) that they they get they get wheeled out at least twice a year with, with most of my classes but you're right um in the sense that What I like about them, they're not gimmicky. Like maths is at the heart of it. It's fun, it's engaging, but for the kids to do well at it and they want to do well at it, they have to be, they have to do the maths. They have to work together yeah. efficiently, effectively, and so on and so forth. So, I like those kind of engaging resources where maths is at the heart of it. And for me, the relays are the kind of the epitome of that. So, so thank you for that. And um, thank you for the wonderful stuff you do on Pi Day. It's, it's I just, I, f- I find it absolutely fascinating. I like watching the videos. I, I, I genuinely get excited myself thinking, what's he going to produce this <laughs> year? So, I, I absolutely love that. And um, your newsletter, despite the fact you've got Rachel Riley signed up for it, I still, <laughs> I've got to thank you for that. It's it's a weekly source of of joy, um, amusement, wonderment, um, and I would strongly advise every listener to to sign up to that. But also, Chris, just. It's just nice to 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 speak to a practicing math teacher on this podcast to 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 listen to the you share your ideas about how you approach things and what I found myself doing um whilst whilst I've been speaking to you is just smiling a lot like the the way the way you describe your lessons they're they're the kind of lessons that if I was a kid or if I was sending my children to a school I'd want them to experience those kind of lessons because it's they sound fun. They are clearly run by somebody who is proud to be a maths geek, who loves <laughs> mathematics. But at the same time, they're not just full of gimmicks, left, right, and centre. That like like the relays, maths is at the heart of it, but it is surrounded by yeah stuff that you you can't help but embrace. And it just going back to what you said about those maths camps, I think you really hit the nail on the head there when when you kind of said that the whole department and you just throw everything at it. It's not uh, in the past. I've kind of almost apologized for, for liking maths and uh, like saying to kids, you know, like kind of playing it down a little bit and, and trying to be too cool. And to like, oh, we've just got, I know it's a bit boring, but we've just got to get through this. And the kids don't buy that. The the, the kids don't respect that. It maybe buys you a little bit of short term kind of credibility, but, but it disappears quickly. Whereas, what I like about your kind of attitude to this, Chris, is that, you know, you love maths. You make it very clear that you absolutely love maths. And even the most mathematically reluctant child tends to appreciate that and go go along with it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really powerful message that I've, I've it, I, it took me too long in my career to learn that. If, if we are passionate about our subject and we show how passionate we are it can only be a good thing for our students so for all those reasons Chris um, <laughs> I have absolutely adored speaking to you today so Chris Smith thank you so much
1: thank you very much Craig and uh, just wish you, you and Mrs Barton all the best as you you think you've learned some stuff during the last uh, hour and a half you're going to learn a whole lot more during <laughs> 2019 but all the best
0: oh thank you So, there you have it. There was my interview with Scottish Teacher of the Year and all-round maths legend, Chris Smith. I flipping loved speaking to Chris. As I say, it is brilliant interviewing people who, from all different disciplines, academics, professors, researchers, English teachers... But I do love speaking to a mathematician. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Now, in terms of takeaways, there are three things I want to focus on based on our conversation with with Chris there. The first is relationships. Now, this is something that's come up quite a few times over the years on the the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. I remember the first time it came up was actually um, an NQT. Now, she's no longer an NQT, but Beth Lilly at the time. And I interviewed her at the end of her NQT year. Um, and I remember asking her to, to um, think about what, what piece of advice she would pass on to people starting their teaching career. Well, what did she learnt over the course of the year? And it was interesting because I expected her to focus on kind of workload and routines and so on. But it wasn't. She spoke about the importance of relationships, the importance about taking an interest in students, showing that you care about them, showing that you're interested in them as people, not just in terms of kind of numbers and, and kind of marks on a spreadsheet and so on. And that's Beth, an NQT saying that, but who also said that. None other than Dylan William. Again, when I asked him what's one of the most important things for a teacher, he didn't say subject knowledge. He didn't even say to learn formative assessment. He said relationships. Relationships are the key. And its I've spoke about this before, but that's often something that gets missed out of all the talk of cognitive science, of all the talk of desirable difficulties and working memory capacity and cognitive overload. Relationships. Relationships. Are at the most crude level, the things that make students want to think and work hard. If they don't like the subjects, if they don't like the teacher, if they don't feel appreciated, supported, valued, then where's their incentive to work hard? Now, there's an important disclaimer here. That doesn't mean that you have to be best mates with, with Uh, all the students that's a mistake I've made in the past trying to be too chummy with them that backfires no respect there no it's not about that at all it's about showing students you care showing students you respect them not trying to be their friend but showing them that you value them as people and once that dynamics established and again it'll be different for different teachers it'll be different I have a different relationship with different students in the school It's whatever works for you, whatever works for your students, but I don't think relationships should be undervalued. They're so, so, so important, so important. And again, it's just something that keeps coming up time and time again. And related to that, as well as showing students you care about them, you're showing them that you care about your subject, showing them that you are passionate. If you're a maths geek like I am, like Chris is, like many people are, showing them that because again... It allows them a window into who you are. And that passion becomes contagious. It becomes infectious. And sure, not everyone's going to become a maths geek like that. But I tell you what, in the past, I've tried to play down my love of maths. And that has backfired. Whereas just admitting it and playing up to it a little bit. Tends to bring more kids on board. They tend to respect me more for it. So yeah, relationships and love of math, that's that's a big thing. And again, it was just nice to be able to reflect on that and hear Chris share his views on that. Second thing I want to talk about is this idea of fun. Now, what I'm gonna say here is gonna sound absolutely flipping ridiculous, but I'm wondering whether I need to build more fun into my routines. Now the idea of routine fun almost sounds like a bit of an oxymoron because surely fun should be kind of spontaneous. Surely it should be just kind of this off the cuff thing and if you start routinizing it, I don't even know if that's a word, but if you start doing it on a regular basis then doesn't it stop becoming fun? Well I'm not so sure really because Chris has kind of opened my eyes to a few possibilities here. So um answers to questions that have something special about them so he mentioned there that when he does his starters with with his kids and that often within the answers will be the day's date and it's just that nice bit of interest and intrigue and it doesn't distract from the maths it's not a gimmick but it's just something that's nice for the kids oh look sir's done it again i wonder how he did that and so on and so forth and chris does something special with the dates Again, it's just something nice, it's something to show kids that maths isn't all serious, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and exam focused and so on, it's just, there's just these moments of levity but still the maths is at the heart of it. And um, Andy uh, Lutwich is the master of this. Um, Andy, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast for a full interview, but he's he's appeared on both of the um, the Slice of Advice episodes that I've done. And if you've used Tez, you'll be, you'll be aware of Andy Lutwitch's resources. His avatar, he's, um, he's kind of got a hood up. He looks like some kind of villain. He looks flipping scary as anything in his avatar, but his resources are absolutely out of this world. And he's the master of this because in his sequence of resources that are called Code Breakers... Again, students have to do a load of maths. But every time they do a maths question, um, and they, look, they get an answer, say it's 13 or whatever. They then look up what, what letter 13 represents in the code. And then once they've done this for all the questions, the letters spell out a corny joke. Now, again, there's is, is nothing revolutionary about that. But it's just that little bit of fun, that little bit of levity... They just can really kind of do something special for kids. And yet maths is still at the heart of it. For me, this is different from those kind of gimmicky things where students end up thinking more about the gimmick, more about the surface structure than the maths itself. Whenever I want to use something like this, maths has to be the heart of it. But if I can package it up in a bit more fun, then that can only be a good thing. And that's something I think that... With all my kind of reading of all the cognitive science and stuff and and all changing my practice, I still hope that my lessons are are enjoyable and fun. I I really hope they do. I I think that kids enjoy them more because they're more successful now. And I've I've spoken in the past about how that is a major motivating factor, success. But I've got to admit that perhaps some of the fun element has kind of been, been pushed to one side a bit. In the past, it was too much flipping fun. But now is the too little. So this idea of routinizing, this scheduling the fun into looking for those regular opportunities, that might be something I'm, I'm going to look to tap into over, over the coming terms. And the final thing I wanted to speak about is this idea of this these kind of special one-off maths days. Now, Chris, I think, has hit on something so, so, so important that I'd certainly not considered before. And that's this. You don't need to try and shoehorn curriculum maths into these days. There's nothing wrong with saying this is just pure fun. So when Chris is speaking about hinting at 2019 Pi Day, some kind of aerial footage, or if you um, listen to some of other Chris's stories and um, about... What he's done on Pi Day in the past, or you look at the number file videos, and you've got that one with Matt Parker who's measuring out the circumference of a circle using actual pies. You'll do well to convince yourself that actually kids are learning something valuable, mathematically valuable, during those experiences. And indeed, the the mistake I've made in the past, and I think this is, I think this is true of of other schools and stuff, is that when you have these kind of activities and days like this. You try and shoehorn the maths in there. So in the past, Pi Day in our school has always fallen around the time when at least one year group, or often it's more, is studying circles. And the idea has been that we try to use the activities in Pi Day to teach things like circumference and area of a circle. But the problem is, and I hope this comes across well, for me the best way to teach circumference or area or something like that is to teach it explicitly. So to do what what I've started doing over the last couple of years, the idea of the example problem pair, the silent teacher, the intelligent practice, and so on and so forth, trying to teach it through these kind of projects or these activities, almost inevitably, kids aren't gonna learn as much. So instead, what I would much rather do is say to myself, you know what, for this day, or for this lesson, or even for these two days, I'm not bothered if kids don't learn anything. If they do, fine, bonus, whatever. But I'm certainly not expecting them to learn. I'm certainly not banking on it. I'm certainly not thinking these two lessons they've got to cover these certain objectives. These days, these activities, these events are just pure fun. Just pure fun. And the benefit that kids get from this is just the joy, just smiling, just positive experiences. And we 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 shouldn't under-emphasize or undervalue that. And what I'd say in in addition to that is that good teaching throughout the year allows you to have more time to do things like this. So I think in the past, when I think about my teaching, like, I think the reason I had to try to shoehorn mathematics into some of these events was purely because I hadn't covered enough of the curriculum up to that point. Or more more specifically, my kids hadn't retained as much of the stuff I was trying to teach them. So the pressure was on. So for for flipping Pi Day, I had to teach the kids circumference. So we had to learn something in that day. Whereas now what I'm noticing is that kids are retaining more. I'm getting through more content so that these one-off fun days can be exactly that, can be fun days. And the final thing I'll say about this, and again, I know know a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I'm just going to say it anyway, is that I think this good teaching, and by good teaching, I'm going to be open and honest, for me, it's this explicit, interactive instruction that I describe in my book. Not only does that free up time, but it also provides a solid foundation where kids can enjoy the creativity of mathematics more so that if kids have a solid basis about let's say circles let's stick on Pi Day if they understand how to work out circumference and why it works and can do it confidently and fluently then whenever you're doing a fun Pi Day activity some kind of creative task it means more to kids because they've got that background knowledge They can link it to things that they know. And that, for me, is true of all the kind of fun activities I used to do. I used to do them too soon. I used to do them too soon into the learning episode. Whereas now, by moving them later when kids have got this foundational knowledge, I'm finding that they're enjoying them more. They're getting more out of them. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. I know it was a bit of a ramble, that one. But it's, yeah, just the fun element is... is, just shone through from what Chris was saying. I'd love to be in his classes. I'd love to be in his classes. And I want to try and bring a bit of that element back to my lessons, but in a way that doesn't distract from the learning, but also is going to enhance it. It's going to make the kids happier, make them enjoy things more and so on and so forth. So all that remains for me to do now is offer up a couple of thanks. So first off, thank you to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout the show. A massive thank you, a massive thank you to Chris Smith. It's interesting, you know, I feel bad sometimes kind of trying to pressure guests to come on the show. I'm pretty bad. It's it's a text message, it's a Twitter message, it's an email, it's a little nudge at a conference and so on. And I know it's not for some people. I think think we tend to assume that as teachers, we're extroverts, we're professionals, formers and so on and so forth but for some people, like it's the idea of a nightmare speaking to me for a couple of hours on here, and I, I can fully understand why that would be the case. So, a massive thank you to for, for Chris to, for uh, agreeing to come on the show, and and to all my guests. Really, like I'm so lucky to to do this. I'm so lucky to have the opportunity to be able to speak to these people and learn from them. Um so, thank you to Chris and to all my guests. And also, the only reason I do this is because people listen. I do well to justify. I've done over seventy of these now. I think we're we're closing in. Probably over yeah, probably over two hundred hours worth of, um, of of CPD now on here. I'd do well to justify this if it was literally just me listening, and when I force my wife to listen to this. So the fact that you know, oh geez, some of the episodes have had close to 10,000 downloads now. That the, the fact that thousands of you are listening to this, that, that you, you describe it as CPD on the move, that you share it with your friends and so on and so forth, it means the world to me. So so thank you so much for that. that. That's the reason I do it and that's the reason I want to keep doing it. And I'll tell you what, we have got some flipping cracking guests lined up over the coming weeks and months. I cannot wait to share them with you. But anyway, that's more than enough from me. You take care of yourselves. Thanks so much for listening and bye for now.